<laughs> I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes. Like a doll's eyes. I love this town! <laughs> Hello, city! Welcome everyone to City of Geek Podcast, episode number, who the fuck cares? <laughs> it's somewhere in the 20s, welcome. Uh, we are back after having like Don't Read born. the Latin uh, on last time to talk about folk horror. And um, speaking of which, Kim did a special guest appearance with the, what, the folks at Don't Read the Latin. We had a good time, there was a lot of vaginas, it was amazing. <sighs> Wasn't that when the, uh, the, the women in uh, Austin Powers, a lot of vaginas? A lot of vaginas, probably. <laughs> It's like every euphemism for vagina is humanly possible in that movie. If James Bond didn't use it, you guys did. That's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun last time, and it was great to have that many around. Down to all four people. Got four people on a podcast. That's, that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not. <laughs> uh, so we are now 50 days into 100 Days of Horror, the day that we're recording this on September 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're... I'm... Well, not going to make a 9/11 joke. Yeah, yeah, please don't. We're leaving out of that. Let's pull please that don't. back out. That's even past our line. Um, the uh, even that, if that line is cocaine, doesn't matter. Past it. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll take the coke instead. <laughs> but a bump. Yeah. Or we'll get. Well, then we'll make maximum overdrive with hell. Okay. <laughs> anyway, continuing. So uh, today's topic was one we stole directly from. Uh, don't read the Latin for their hundredth episode. Two you. episodes ago. <laughs> I thought it was such a great idea, and then we were talking. This is our year anniversary, so uh, oh, yeah. we were talking about like uh, yeah. do something really positive, something more directed than just a general um, subgenre or 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 hating on things because it's always fun. <laughs> but some we're like, so good at of, like on favorite things, things, you know, for for a year anniversary. Um, so they had this topic for their hundredth hundredth uh, episode. Their hundredth anniversary because they are all vampires. No. Um, I'm not even drinking. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, so we're looking at the five films that made us. Uh, so not just not favorite films, not childhood favorites. It could be. Uh, not your best of list. More of like the movies that kind of influenced you as a film watcher, as a person. Uh, this could be from childhood. This could be recent. Uh, it's just in that way. So it's kind of a a different way of saying things that really worked on you. These could be shitty movies. Just. They affected you in that way, <laughs> and I've, I've been blabbering on. So, guys, good. No, that's. I mean, and I, I think it's a terrific topic because there's um, what makes uh, what makes a person a film fan. What makes a person obsessed for life over film, and arguably, uh, all of us t- to a great extent are that at this table is always really interesting. And I, I, I did a lot of thinking. I've got a huge list. Yeah, um, but <laughs> we're I only five. doing five each. Thank you. <laughs> If we if we if we wind up in an extra compact fashion, we could maybe spit out some others. We could maybe the title yeah. listed yeah. Yeah. at some point, like because a lot of stuff in my list is like, is like one particular thing attached to it, rather than like a whole deep thing to the entire movie. Right. There's a couple of things like oh, this particular thing happened, or this particular interaction in my life happened around this movie, and that's it. Um, but yeah, without saying what any of those titles are, because that gets right into it. But <laughs> well, let's get started. All right. Oh, so uh, should we introduce ourselves? Oh yes. Uh, this is Bob. This is Cody. Kim. Tony. <laughs> There's a pause there, like you tried to remember your name. But you were doing like William Shatner. Or something. I'm trying to do Shatner right along now. 
I just like to point out I gotta look at Bob's list and there's a lot of children of the corn on there. Something <laughs> <laughs> with children of the corn in the medieval horror. Yeah. <laughs> the I, fucking lamp. It just it changed my life. Uh, it just reached right into me and lit me up. Just right in there. A couple howlings in there too. <laughs> yeah. The howling six, right there. Right, Sleep right in my soul. Camp four. <laughs> I haven't seen I that. I watched one. two and three last night. Nice, nice, nice. Teenage Wasteland. Teenage <laughs> Wasteland. Oh my god. There was I, I appreciate some of the fourth wall breaking that was happening in that movie. Or unintentional fourth wall breaking, I think, at times. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. I, don't know. I, I seem like... I think there were a couple points in the second one where yeah. Angela looks right at the camera. She looks right at the and, and there's a one point when she's killing someone and she's figuring out how to do it. She just walks in and she's just talking. There's no one there. <laughs> so you're like, you're talking to us right now, aren't you? Yes, you are. Okay. Oh, the, <laughs> yeah, the Seaboy Camp sequels are completely like tongue-in-cheek and, and winky. You know? Yeah, but they're... It's so different than the first one It's funny case. because they, for me, they don't, they don't go to garbage day level. Yeah. Like, one of the reasons I have an unashamed love of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is the level of ridiculous it is is just delightful and and the sleepaway camp cycle the the sequels for me didn't become they weren't fun the same way but anyway to bring it of course this aren't really our, our but are these topic, movies that define you? but i think yeah. it's funny like you're bringing that up and the very first thing you talk about is sleepaway camp 3 and in uh in uh silent and then night 2 hey, that's <laughs> how we roll here baby <laughs> It's like it's like there's that meme. Have you seen the the meme of like I think it's Kurt Russell and yeah. someone else? Like yeah. there's like there's two type of horror fans. One's like I think it's a wonderful night to say and don't and watch Nicholas Rogues Don't look now. And then fuck it, let's watch Sleepaway Camp three again. <laughs> I am that meme. <laughs> depends on my okay. mood. Depends, no, it depends on my mood because there's nights where I'm like. I need only lovers left alive, and then there's nights I'm like, bring Halloween five to my cold hands, please. <laughs> but uh, so I, my list is particular in order. I know we were talking a little bit ahead of time, but some of us are just kind of winging it yeah, of like no whatever one works, depending on what we're talking about. And ultimately, I do have. I'm gonna go last in the first round because I'll be honest. There are there were three that immediately came to my head, and a bunch that were sliding in and out that might work and I'm not honestly sure what my number five is until I s- comes out of my mouth. It's like when I'm ordering food at Denny's I'm like I don't know what I want until I say it. Um, but it's funny like I mentioned this topic to my wife before I left the house and she immediately listed the, the three that I immediately locked in. And it's like the other ones and she listed a bunch of stuff that could be there but like the first three just bam. It's like alright those match. So wonderful. But anyway I'm going to like I'm gonna divert my the attention over to I say Cody. What's what, what's your number? What's your first movie you're gonna talk about tonight? Fuck it, it's Hillary's America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> fuck it. And then everyone stops listening. Sorry, Jen. I'm saying this not because I like this movie, even though I've grown a, a weird Stockholm syndrome like for it. <laughs> it is absolutely fucking terrible. It's yeah. horrible. It's offensive. Dinesh D'Souza is a little shit weasel of a man, but god damn it, if that movie hasn't steered my weird, almost love of those shitty Trump movies, <laughs> only because seeing them in that audience in a theater is fucking bizarre. When I saw Hillary's America, Carolyn and I went as a joke. 2016, I did not think that there was going to be anybody. Oh no. The Boomer Mobile pulled the fuck up from the retirement home, <laughs> and there the fuck they were. We were in a packed theater. Oh, Carolyn and I are laughing. There are. We're we're the youngest by like far. Like I'm surprised that our brains 
weren't taken out and replaced with a couple of those older ones. <laughs> like, not get out, but the random thing that reminded me of Gal from TV 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's, it's terrible. There's nothing good about it. The, the, the costumes are bad. Mm. Hillary is only in like 20 minutes of the fucking movie. But what about her emails, Cody? What about her emails? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm fully on board with the fact that, you know, Hillary was not my first choice. Don't get me wrong. I did not see this because I was going to vote for Trump. I was going to vote for Hillary no matter what. I wish Bernie had won just because what the fuck do you put out then, Dinesh? <laughs> I'm interested to see what he's going to do next year. Yeah. Is he going to slam a Democratic candidate or is he going to go like an all-in pro-Trump movie? He'll do both. What he'll, what he'll do is what he did with Hillary's America is he never mentioned Trump because he mm. thought Trump was going to lose. He focused on the fact that Hillary Clinton is basically Satan. <laughs> There's a scene where they're talking about their time in the White House and this this Hillary impersonator going down the hallway and this like aide has some papers like this and she just smacks <laughs> it the fuck out of his hand. And Oh, so she's like so she's like the political equivalent of Meryl Streep in the Devil Wars Prada. Yes. Probably. Okay. Oh, you know. And, you know, apparently... Funny, there's a book I read in the late 90s that my dad, actually, my, my parents are conservative, that described her in that same way, apparently, like, of her, like, just yelling at someone for 10 minutes or holding the door for her or something like that. I don't know, but maybe it's the same source or what have you, fake source, I guess. Like, don't get me wrong, her and Bill have some massive issues with them. Reason but, I, you know, didn't vote for her in 2016 in the primary, but, um... This makes them out to be cartoonish villains. I mean, fucking Bill, his only appearance is like a shaggy 70s Bill Clinton. Mm. And he's like hitting on a lady and you see Hillary peering through the window. Ah! Oh my god. It's like, don't be mad. It's like, I'm pretty damn sure she knows exactly what he's doing. And this is, of course, this isn't the the politics podcast, so I'm just going to bring myself back. (laughs) Well, the thing that I was noting is that it sounds an awful lot like one of the Sun Classic pictures from the 70s where they would have really shoddily executed uh, simulations of, like, certain, like, incidents that would happen, you know. You'd see, like, really bad actors pretending like the guy in the gorilla suit was Bigfoot, etc., etc. It sounds like the political, you know, the, the right-wing nut equivalent of that. So. Yep. so, that's Hillary's America in a nutshell. Uh, but, you know, I think Dinesh D'Souza loves the fact that everybody hates his movies. Is, I don't think, you know, his audience relishes in that, because it's a, it's a victim complex. It's yeah. the same thing with the exploitation movies. It's it, the liberal elites hate us because we're real Americans and they're not. And I'm for some reason, American. you can and, and you know there's a weird amount of like pro like war stuff that he's into too. Like he peppers in 9/11 in every single movie. There's like a, there's a reference to it in every single movie. Like in, in Hillary's America, he goes. Um, I think, it, I think it's Hillary's America, where he goes talking about um, something to do with you know he's just bashing on like Muslims or something, and he goes, "What well, well, we saw what Muslims are, are doing," and then it just cuts to that. I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me, dude?" <sighs> it is a dangerous movie, and if you go into it and you buy into it, 
there is no there's no wonder we've got you know, mass shooters that psych crap like this. It's it's a dangerous film. All laughs aside. Yeah. So let's see. I hope you have something more positive, Kim. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Uh, well, no, definitely different. In it's contrast. Um, Phantom of the Paradise. Yes. Coolio. Life uh, alert. I I first saw that movie when I was a teenager, early teenager. Uh, it was on late at night on I think AMC when AMC was showing older movies yep. and not you know movies from the nineties or whatever. Um, and without commercials, I'll bet. I don't remember possibly, um, but and I was a. a hardcore fan of the opera fan like i loved the musical i loved the book i loved every version movie that existed this was a version i hadn't known about and i don't I, think anyone really does outside of you know cult film circles well, it, <laughs> was, it was so interesting because i was like oh fan of the paradise this must be something fan of the opera related and i start watching it and initially i'm like what the fuck <laughs> is this that's a standard reaction to that movie but as it went on, I couldn't help but be just completely fascinated by it. And it was, it's not my first exposure to, to like campy kind of movies or ones that lean into that. But I, I think it was the first time one um, sort of, it, it was, it was a, a, a topic that I, I had a deep love for the story. And um, Paul Williams. Yes. I, I fucking love Paul Williams. I would lose my mind if I ever met him. Um, when I realized he was also the guy that wrote, like, the music in Secret of Nim and, and some of that. And a lot of the Muppet stuff. Yeah. Like, I get, I just lost my shit. I'm like, oh, my God. This guy who writes these lovely children's things and is, you know, tasty, Winslow. <laughs> tasty. Um, I'm under contract, too. And, and I, like I love how... <laughs> unapologetic it is i also now can look at it and say because it's an early brian de palma film and you see things in it you see things he was going to go on to do he's trying things out a lot like the the split screen with the bomb oh, yeah. like you see things he's gonna do in later films and him kind of figuring out and i argue that that scene where he is following the car and seeing the dis I mean like that is just so brilliantly shot and put together uh the uninterrupted shots um but yeah that movie it's, has it's take on a touch of evil you know? yeah it, it's just it's stuck with me it's one that um I I save to watch for special times like I don't want to watch it too often because I don't want it to lose its magic for me. And so there's movies that I never get tired of watching. Mostly super silly movies or comfort movies. And this is a movie that there's times I want to watch it and I don't let myself because I want it to always be something special. Fair enough. So yeah. It's a, it's, it's a fantastic fucking film. It's just it's, delightful. It's the most campy that De Palma's ever written. Now, oh yeah. De Palma's definitely campy and I think that's a lot of and whatever some of his drama leans into camp unintentionally yeah, yeah I, th I think I, that one of the things that makes um, Phantom of the Paradise immensely entertaining is that he gets the joke yes he's in he, on it and he's in on it and that's not always the case with yeah. his other films and there's also I think there's something to be said uh, yeah I, it's it's uh, like for such a 
relatively early film in his career, it's incredibly virtuosic. Like yes. you, you, you cited Touch of Evil with that one particular shot. I mean, Jesus, the movie is just bristling with visual imagination, uh-huh. and and I, the characters are fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, like Beef. Yeah, my I God. Like beef. Well, I mean, yeah, and Beef's I don't know. costumes. I don't know how. I don't know how uh, you know our LGBT crowd it, feels about it's it. It's not the most PC movie now, but. Um, it's loved in in crowds. It, it's it's loved in in cult movie crowds. You know, yeah, crowds. I mean, and again, and it's very much a product of the time period. It's very seventies, yeah, and yeah. it's 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 quintessential seventies. You're not going to, um, you can't look at it with a contemporary lens in that respect because it's, and I mean, honestly, for its time period, it's throwing out some characters that are. Maybe problematic, but also representing. You know, it's like yeah. Gary Graham really just kills it. Yeah, good. Go, yeah. go ahead. I think that's a that's something that I think a lot of people need to kind of realize about film yeah. is, like, even Song of the South. Yeah, you look at that shit now. Oh God. Yeah. But I mean, like, you compare that to say, like, The Crows and Dumbo. Yeah. That's a much more like nuanced portrayal. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's like. Yeah, it looks terrible now, but that shit was progressive as fuck back then. It was. I, I've seen the argument made with like "Boys Don't Cry," that uh, it's a it's progressive for the time period because you were telling a story that wasn't getting told otherwise. Is it unfortunate they didn't actually have a trans uh, actor playing the part? Yes, but at that point in time, that was how that movie was going to get made, and it's a conversation that I think needs to be had. Yeah. But I, I think anytime you're looking at art, time period does play into it. And also understanding why something can be problematic but still be valid. Um, but I'm sorry, every time he says, I know drug real from real real, I lose my shit. <laughs> and the antlers. And the antlers! <laughs> and, the, and when he's, and when he's like swinging his dick around being all like, Rawr! and then he full on <laughs> slips those platform shoes out from under him. And lands on his back and butt, and they can't get up because of his fucking platform shoes. And being high as fuck. It's, and being high as fuck. It is. It is. It's choice. I think this song is written for a chick. <laughs> you can it's, sing it better than any bitch. <laughs> like the dialogue, the dialogue alone, and they're all one. And then, and then. And all um, the Faustian stuff. Oh, the Faustian stuff. Because it is. It's Faust. Oh, this is the second song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and the second song is Count Faust. And I love and the music. opera he's making. Yeah. The music for me is just. It's beautiful. And I mean, because say what you will about the movie too. Like Paul Williams writes a fucking song. He knows yes. how to write a song. Yeah. And Old Souls, I it's love it. Beautiful song. It's beautiful. And and um You better like it because you can hear it three times in yes. session. <laughs> uh, well no, that's Faust that you hear yeah. over and well, over. Well you hear Faust yeah, but, but Old Souls is song like what, twice in a row in the movie, right? Once uh, by Jessica Harper, once by Swan. Well and there are also a really? couple of times yeah, where right, right, right. um like the Juicy Fruit song, the same yes. melody yeah. pops the up. The same melody in, uh, I he, he redoes Faust and He does Faust multiple times. Yeah, because because you because uh, Winslow sings it initially, and then the Juicy Fruits do in their weird like Beach Boys, which also is a comment on the music industry. Well, it's, it's yeah, so absolutely. Well, yeah, you've got the you've got the Juicy Fruits because yeah. it was the seventies, and so the fifties were a big nostalgia. Were, yeah. were like very big in the seventies. People were looking back mm-hmm. at the fifties. I think they were clutching at that. And then by the end of the movie, innocence. they were essentially Kiss. You know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, because they start off as that, you know, a now a story. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, 
the, the where there's like, we'll remember you forever, yeah, Eddie. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's it's the way they just keep adapting to whatever needs to be popular. Like exactly. Anyway, from, I, yeah, I, from, yeah, yeah. I love this movie. Uh, now I want to go home and watch it again. Yeah, so. right. Well, I was actually just listening to a podcast, the Projection Booth, about this very movie. Like literally finished listening to it today, oh, and there were all sorts of interesting little tidbits. They talked to the gentleman who founded, who uh, started the Phantom of the Paradise website. I think it's mm. called. I think it's called Swan. Swan yeah, Dark Eyes. Swan, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. And absolutely fascinating, and so many interesting stories. And uh, yeah, I mean this this movie it feels like a little bit of an anomaly in um, De Palma's career. It definitely feels like that because it's not. It, it's like one of the few non Hitchcock nicks that he filmed. Yeah. I mean, almost everything else he's done has been basically a more graphic, you know, permissive era Hitchcock version of, of, yeah. of Hitchcock. Exactly. And so seeing him, you know, seeing him devote all of his undeniable visual acuity and prowess to something that is just like this completely batshit nuts. Yeah. Is really. Wonderful. I mean, it's it's definitely one of my favorite De Palma movies. So, yeah, yeah phenomenal call. So, Tony, what's uh, which one for you here today? Well, I have something I wrote a few years ago, oh. um, and I shall read it, and that will be it. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was the early 1970s. I'm not sure what year. I couldn't have been more than five years old. A birthday party for one of the neighbor kids was barreling along on that warm spring day, and I was just another grade schooler coming down from a birthday cake-induced sugar buzz. I wandered away from the other screaming and laughing children crowding the dining room of our neighbor's apartment and glanced towards the living room at the TV. On the flickering screen, two men were walking along a sandy beach into a valley full of massive bronze statues. One statue in particular, a giant sword-wielding warrior in an attack-ready crouch loomed over the men with blank menace. Unease crept through my little kid mind, but I walked into the living room mesmerized. The men, Greek warriors Hercules and Hylas, it turned out, entered the statue's base, finding mountains of glittering treasure within. Then they exited, Hercules recklessly toting a golden javelin purloined from the vault. I watched the two men look askance at the statue as they walked on. Then, the bronze giant turned its huge head to observe the thieves' progress. Through a chorus of deafening metallic clanks, the statue rose from its base, and in an instant, my life was changed. Even at that tender age, I knew this wasn't a man in a suit, or a cartoon, or some marionette. But soon, I gave up even trying to figure out how this was done. Dumbstruck awe kicked in. For the first time, a movie completely transported me. I forgot I was a snot-nosed kid in front of a wood-panel Zenith TV on a military base outside of Lakewood, Washington. Talos, titanic guardian of Zeus's treasure, was lurching towards foolhardy mortals, ready to stomp them like so many scurrying ants. I was bearing witness to the wrath of the gods writ in towering, terrifying grandeur, and I believed. That movie, 1963's Jason and the Argonauts, instilled an abiding love of fantastic cinema within me that remains undimmed decades later that's that's it that was that was one of the most formative moments in my childhood was that exact incident seeing that movie it totally changed my life I'm gonna be a bad horror a bad fan here I've never actually seen it <laughs> I've never seen it either I've seen so many clips I've seen this and how yeah. Harry Housen worked I, and, yeah. I saw it when I was a seen, kid that's, uh, I've seen the skeleton yeah. fight separately yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those things that again um, 
this is how movies define you. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure you guys might be able to relate to this a lot. There's an element of me that really wishes to God I could share that exact experience with the rest of the world. With anybody else who's into movies, I would love to be able to do a virtual reality of a five-year-old <laughs> kid in the 70s walking in taking a look at a TV and seeing something that they had never seen before that totally blew the top of their heads off. Yeah, so I wish I could have that feeling again for some of the movies I've watched. Oh, like, totally. The mm-hmm. see it for the very, or to go back in time and watch it with the first audience, something like that, and like, absolutely watching people get blown away by Jaws or Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars the first time. You I know. mean, Dude, when I, I saw to... Nosferatu for the first time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say that was that the audience definitely <laughs> experienced it together. I kind of want to take a time machine Go back to the 80s and go see Hell of the Living Dead with Tony at the Parkland Theater. <laughs> Dude, double bill with Gates of Hell, a.k.a. City of the Living Dead. Fuck yeah. Fucking Matei and Fulci, dude. I'm all about that shit. Alright, so... Don't go from <laughs> Your turn, Bob. I am right. so disgusted with no, all of you. No, no, no. Bring it on home, so, all right, so I did mine in a particular order from um, five to... My number one's the most there. So this is... All the lead off of something weaker. But, because uh, Tony makes me want to talk about a particular movie that I'm going to save my number two. But, so... <laughs> Just save a movie. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with Quirks from 1994. Oh, God. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kim has left the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I, I fully admit I'm a Kevin Smith fan, <laughs> warts and all. Fuck yoga hosers, but everything else is... is, is Jersey Girl has its moments. I agree. Uh, but for a person who was... questioning your taste on so many levels right now, Bob. So that movie came out when I was about 12, <laughs> uh-huh. but around uh-huh. the time Chasing Amy came out when I kind of... Yeah, that's a great movie. It doesn't hold well, but it has, its, has things, but I'll leave Does it. Does it? Yeah, Does it have things? So. Yeah, she has things and, and doodads and a bunch of McCallits. Bob's making my Hillary's America joke look great. But, but if I had Hillary's to choose versus which Quirks. of those two movies I'd watch, you're I would watch Hillary's America. Yeah, brother. <laughs> but as, as a person who was a teenage, yeah, you know, teenage male yeah. in the late 1990s, it was... And it's his fan base, yes. It's definitely, it, it, I'm definitely in Kevin's with fan base for that. And uh, yeah. as someone who worked at a video store for several years, a little bit after that, but hung out in video stores with my friends in the same way. It's kind of it fell into that that same category of it's, but not but not just the movie itself, but just how its creation was done. That I never actually went around to making my own movie. Um, my friends like talked about it, had some scripts and that. But some guy you know, making minimum wage in 1994 racks up thirty thousand dollars of credit card bills, makes a movie that goes to Sundance, and becomes a pretty decently sized hit. It's definitely a a push forward for that. You know, between that and say Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh around the same time, people making movies on minuscule budgets becoming a, a thing. Yeah, that's really the rise of so much of independent cinema. I mean, we had the '70s version with Do- Zoetrope and everything. Then the '90s version that was from you know our our era. Of yeah, I mean there, that, that's why I find it influential in that way of, of it, it reinvigorated film at the same time that I was discovering film. Uh, and that was where kind of the jumping off point for so many other things in this case when it comes to things that weren't horror, which is why I started with something not horror because everything else kind of focuses that way. Not always, but still. A, a, a lot of horror for me. But yeah, it's I, yeah, it's funny. I didn't see Clerks until like probably about 10 or 15 years ago. And so I didn't get that kind of impact from it. But I really did 
I, I do understand why it was. I mean, you're not the only person who's kind of extolled this sentiment. Um, Clerks really broke open a lot of doors in terms of independent filmmaking, for better, for worse, for political incorrectness, for you know amateurishness, for you know willful scatology, whatever. All those things are in place, but um, its its role in defining independent cinema <laughs> again, <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. The movie is problematic as fuck. Oh, yeah. I've Watching only it now seen it once. I've seen. I have I, no I'm desire to see it again. But, but <laughs> we're talking about movies that somehow made an impression. Yeah. That's why I'm keeping my mouth shut. Teenage, teenage Bob. Like, I, I watched it again recently, I the, and it was. Yeah. I still enjoy it. I still knowing it's problematic, but also like this, the the way it, the writing went. It's definitely a different level of writing than you normally get for mm-hmm. for, for better or for worse. Yeah. Where it does feel like you know some funny people were actually talking. It feels like a conversation that my friends and I had. Uh, and some people, but it still has that level to it. I, I you know, watch a lot of shorts for film festivals, and you see people trying to be Kevin Smith yeah, yeah. without understanding the flow of dialogue. Even if his even if his dialogue sounds like pop culture references and jokes that you made with your friends, it's been refined and refined and refined until it becomes an actual flow of story. Listen, <laughs> I watched Gilmore Girls. I get it. <laughs> Fair enough. Gilmore <laughs> Girls is a fine show. It's a fine show. I still enjoy it. It's, with its ups again, and downs. It has its, its moments and let's but not yeah, talk about Gilmore the worst. But, the same but way, the, yeah. that, was, that was it for me. Like it, Not a movie, but uh, the characters, it appealed to me at a certain age. It appealed to you know the mother-daughter dynamic and the style of the dialogue. It was ex- it, It's not a movie, but it was something extremely influential to me. In fact, I have to say I probably have more television that influenced me mm-hmm. yeah. than film. I'd avoid not bringing television because that yeah, would have been my list. I, and and <laughs> that might be that might be another interesting podcast. Is yeah, is for yeah. me? I was a a kid in the nineties. I was a fucking TV kid, man. I watched movies, but I watched television. Oh yeah. And so I could name TV shows that utterly changed my life, and I have a harder time with the movies. Not because movies haven't changed my life, but I think the I very much become involved in the longer narrative of characters. And so following characters over five, six, seven years and watching them grow and growing with them was more of an influence to me than one individual movie. Fair enough. Um, so we're limiting you, but... Well, no, I mean, it's not limiting you. We overpowered like, you. It's good. But it's just, for, for me, I was that was my generation. Well, and it was your generation too, but again, different. I was a, I was a TV kid in a TV household. Mm. So I actually... That... Very similar, um, except a lot of my... That's why I'm so politically active, is my grandma used to stay home all day with me, mm-hmm. and she would watch CNN all the time. Mm. So I wound up hours at a time. I, I remember following like the, the presidential election of 04 as closely as some people like you know follow you know like a TV show. Yeah. Um, you know, and I I have a lot of TV as well, and I think that would be a, a really good future yeah. podcast. Yes, we'll leave that for for its own podcast. Yeah, yeah. but that's that's an interesting. But uh, I'll and I'll I'll message you guys my chasing Amy thoughts. That's a whole different thing. I mean, no, I've never seen it. So, uh, but but course itself, yeah, it was for its time. For then, I yeah, I still yeah. probably have memorized. So probably the the cartoon show was fucking fantastic on my TV. Uh, that's probably definitely memorized. But that was like for me, my best friend Pete. That was something we quoted all the time. Thing. Something we thing. We worked yeah. at Blockbuster together. We we worked at various places. So that was of its time. Of course, we had the influence. We had the people came later that didn't understand why it worked the way it did. But then again, it happens for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody, 
jump back to you from number four. All right. All right, I'm, I'm flipping a coin in my head. Yeah, that was my number five. Is like I have like 15 yeah. things that can be like, you know, on. I'll, I'll, I'll get Hillary's America slash God's Not Dead out of the way first, and then I'll go into some stuff that's actually positive. Um, I don't think any of you have seen this uh, movie, but this was the first movie that I ever saw in a theater, and it's ready to rumble. I saw that. Ready to it's got rumble. moments. It is. 99, right? I think it was... No, it was 2000. Because that's when David Arquette won the WCW yeah. championship. I love wrestling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My big thing with wrestling started in 1999. I saw Sting in his crow makeup on WCW television. <coughs> I was a big WCW fan as a kid until WWF bought it out. Rest in peace, WCW. Um, in the year 2000, they made a movie with the wrestlers in them. Um, it didn't have all of the big superstars, but it had most of them. It didn't have Hogan because he had too much of an ego. But, I mean, Goldberg, Sting, um, Diamond Dallas Page. And it was... I was actually afraid of movie theaters until I was about six. Hmm. Oh, wow. I had a thing where I didn't like loud music, and I didn't like... Or loud sounds in general. I got very scared easily. I was a very scaredy child, which I think, ironically played into my horror love later. I can sort of relate to that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember crying and running out of the theater in The Phantom Menace when we got to our seat and the lights went down. Mm-hmm. I did too, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Raid Rumble's not a great movie. It's a footnote in history. And it's it's interesting, and it actually... They, they spliced it in with WCW-TV, which was an absolute shit show in 2000. At that point, they realized... They were pretty fucked in the Monday Night Wars. They were not going to beat WWF. They were trying to survive. They were the go-bots of the Transformers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So David Arquette, <laughs> the star of the movie, David won <laughs> the WCW <laughs> championship. And he was... Um, He's so little. It, he won it by pinning He's the so on-air wee. commissioner. He's so wee. <laughs> and he... he Complete side note, but he's actually wrestling again in 2019, and he's doing death matches over in Japan or some shit. Like he, he and Courtney Cox need that much money? Is he still with Courtney Cox? No, no, my God, he okay. hasn't been with her for like a decade. I gotta pay attention. And no, he's he's actually Get one Dewey for life. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first like experience. Is like I I wanted to go see that movie. I had my WCW championship with me. David Arquette had broken my heart a little bit earlier in the thing because he'd actually. This speaks to WCW's questionable management practice, but they actually turned him on air into a bad guy and had him help the bad guy win the title from himself. He would heal? He he turned heel (laughs) right when the movie came out, and I think that just only hurt. I mean, it is a stupid fucking movie. That happened to Stephen Baldwin, and it kind of... Yeah. Oh, God, Stephen It was him or Daniel? I think... I think it was Stephen. It was a Baldwin that wasn't Alec. (laughs) (laughs) And and I mean... It was not Alec Baldwin. And it's, it's really about these two losers from a small town who find their favorite um, wrestler, who's not a real wrestler. His name is something... He's played by Oliver Platt, of all people. <laughs> oh, my God. And he is Jimmy the King, and they he loses. And in this universe, pro wrestling is not fake. So it's like a mm. screw job to take the belt off of him. And they find him living in a trailer in their town. And he's drunk as shit, and he's dressed... In drag the first time they meet him? Like you are. Like you are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's this bizarre buddy road film mixed with a midlife crisis film. And it <laughs> all ends in the triple-decker cage match that sees um, David Arquette and the Jimmy King character face off against Diamond Dallas Page. And they're actually trying to, like, fuck him up in the movie. They're, they're like, trying to, like, break his back and wreck him. And it was just the most bizarre thing. And I've watched it numerous times since. I, I watch it every five years or so to see if it got gets any better. And it, it wasn't it wasn't a Baldwin, but Scott Con. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Oh, God. That's right. Son. He was yeah. the, he was the wow. He I was, just looked he was it up. The loser me. kid. And wow. for some reason, Martin Landau was in this piece of shit. <laughs> no way. Yeah, Holy Martin shit. Landau. Hey, people have built seven ye- six years after his Oscar for playing <laughs> Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Joey Vance. He takes Jesus. a power bomb from Sid Vicious, and that writes him out of the rest of the movie. Wow. wow. I need to do this shit. <laughs> I don't know why I gave him the Bella look. <laughs> He'll say Karloff is a dick. <laughs> Karloff sucks Karloff is a dick. <laughs> so that was ready to rumble. Um, so I remember I remember actually liking it to a certain degree. Like, that was better than I expected it to be. That's remember when I watched the VHS background. <laughs> I was a kid, and I saw Sting flying through the rafters and kill some dude, pretty much. I was happy with Seeing it. Seeing the rest, they're not the singers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the I, Desert Rose! <laughs> I've always wished that WCW had just said fuck it and booked a match between them in the 90s. I'm pretty sure you could have given him enough money. They gave Dennis Rodman money. He was there. Yeah, Jay Leno did. wrestled a match. Wow. I WCW was weird. Yes. And it was the superior company. Rest in peace. Uh, Kim, what do we have for I, your number I feel four? like I'm going to bring people down with this one. It happens. Um, we, my, I think we've all, uh, Bob and I have each had one that was controversial. Go for it. Mostly mine's, well, okay, so mine's a documentary called Dear Zachary. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go cry now. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is a movie that I actually, so in, in, in acting, uh, there is a method to... Uh, get yourself to emotional places by using triggers and it can be happy it can be sad it can be angry but using songs or using uh, video or art or something to get you to an uh, emotional place and i still use a specific scene from dear zachary anytime i need to cry on camera uh because it's like that it yeah. just turns it on and uh i am a true crime buff i am a i I do true crime tours i you know i'm gonna start teaching a class in it i love true crime this is a movie that um you are seeing things from someone affected by a murder uh it's not this isn't a spoiler to say the movie starts off with the the man who made it uh, as a, a filmmaker and his best friend was murdered and this is something again. This isn't a spoiler to say yeah, this. This literally is literally starts is, the movie. This is literally what starts the movie. This is if you read the back jacket of it. This is what's you know, um, and inciting incident to making the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he was murdered by his his former girlfriend, and it's found out fairly quickly that she is pregnant with his child. So he sets off to make a movie. Dear Zachary, uh, where he travels across the country to talk to people who knew his friends um, so that they could share memories of, of Zachary's dad. So Zachary would know about him. But it's also following uh, the trial 
it's following the grandparents' quest to get custody of their grandson. Um, and it's, 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 you, you experience some things in, in, with them. Uh, it's, it's a rough watch at Absolutely. times. It's beautiful. And it's made with so much heart. But it is, um, you know, when, when there's a, a lot of concern about knowing the victim stories, knowing the victim sides and seeing the impact and, and you see it here. Um, and it's, it's a movie that really, I think hammers at home, but it's mm -hmm. also just, it's, it's, it's very heartfelt and it's one that I always have an emotional response to. And yet I still have the urge to watch. Like I still want to watch it, even though I know I am going to be slightly torturing myself to do it. Um, well, there, that's catharsis for you. It though, is. It's you know? very cathartic for me. So you can't allow yourself to feel feelings once every. I, I do. Like few once, weeks. once every five years, I let myself feel feelings, and I put this movie on, and I feel for one evening, and then I shut myself off again and have a cold dead heart. This is the movie that makes my cold dead heart like bleed tears, and then it's dead. It's so. a fascinating documentary, and yeah. I, th I think that also was a, a turning point for the way law documentaries yes not, and it became a very yeah. so popular that kind of I think it really did a lot to popularize the genre to the general public for a while because it's also it is in no way objective nor mm. should it be it's 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 from like he's making a movie about his friend it should have feelings it should be not coming from a place of cold hard fact this is it is a movie full of emotion, um, and that, that's that's a lovely thing because again, I think what you're saying is correct. Like getting to the human level of stories and not being afraid to live with people and to experience it with them, and not being just the cold camera in the room. Like he is right there with them, and he is experiencing it with them, and he is is happy with them and sad with them, and reliving memories of his friend who's passed. It's it's uh, yeah. But yeah, you know, and I know, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. Bob knows the scene I'm talking about where... I could probably name like four of them that There's one specific about, one. I'm going to say the ones like about 12 years ago when I was oh, new. okay. So my memories of it are a little bit vague, but I could name a couple high, not high points, but you it's, know what I mean. It's, there's, there's a, there's a scene in it that just, it doesn't matter, I cry. Um, so yeah, it's a very cathartic movie. Anyway. Tony. Oh. Might you want to bring us up? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I will try. Um, I grew up with parents who had a real fondness for classic Hollywood. And so I saw a lot of classic Hollywood. And it was interesting hearing you talk about being a TV family. I was a TV kid, too. But I'm, I've got a few years on you guys. I saw, um, I saw the 1910 Frankenstein by Thomas Edison first run in a theater. <laughs> Kim, Kim only saw Nosferatu, so uh, I got a few. I got a few years up on her, but I am. I am. But so what was it like when that train came? Chicken. Everyone screamed. Kim's practically a fetus. I am. <laughs> exactly. What does that make you? He's the future. Not, I, I am not literally existing. a sparkle in my father's <laughs> There we go. Um, but I, so as such, I ended up. I was. I I came of age in an era when 
most of what was on TV, as far as series television went, was shit. Yeah. And so I don't have the connections to uh, a lot of TV shows, with a few exceptions that I'll save for the next podcast that we do that on. Um, so I did really experience an awful lot of stuff on TV. And for me, um, one of the movies that made the most profound impression on me when I was very young was The African Queen. Mm. A classic 1951 Hollywood film starring Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn. Uh, first of all, up to that point, I really hadn't seen a lot of films of that ancient vintage that were in full color. And The African Queen is in absolutely eye-poppingly full color. Second of all, one of the things that really made a strong impression on me is up until that point, I was accustomed to romantic couples in movies being young, chiseled, perfect, beautiful, and absolutely faultless in terms of how they behaved and how they interacted with one another. And I saw this movie with a couple of average-looking, middle-aged people who had their own lives and through the happenstance of fate and World War II ended up being thrown together. Uh, the movie is extremely visceral. Uh, it, it details a journey through Africa by river um, with two very flawed characters who sweat, who grunt, who are flawed, who are dealing with their own fears and neuroses. I mean, for, for Christ's sake, Humphrey Bogart is a raging alcoholic in the film and he has to deal with that. Going forward, um, Catherine Hepburn has to deal with her inhibitions as a as the um, sister of a minister, uh, and they both eventually find love. And seeing such a nuanced and human portrayal, especially in such an old movie of romance and of personal growth made a profound impression on me and it's also just a rip-roaring yarn it's well paced it's one of those films that i like to point at when people say i don't want to watch old movies they're slow they're boring <laughs> not, not <ever> queen. <laughs> yeah it's not i mean it's it, and it's just a wonderful wonderful movie i would highly recommend it. it is not my favorite humphrey bogart movie um but it's fucking terrific and i saw it at an age where it really it really hit me that you can make movies about romance that include characters that aren't the traditional ideal of Hollywood romantic leads. I saw that for the first time a couple years ago. Like My wife and I just randomly decided to watch it because it was on Netflix. Oh, cool. And we just fucking loved it. I finished it. She was like, that movie was amazing. Can we watch that again soon? We haven't seen it since. Oh, it's, but, I have the Blu-ray, by the way, if nice. you like the borrow No doubt. Looking gorgeous. And uh, Angelica Houston was born on the set, so that gave us that, her. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John Houston was off filming it when, you know, with his wife around. And but yeah, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. So there's, uh, Jennifer used to be born on the sets and the more that used to trivia. No, I'm getting, just giving you shit. I'm going to keep throwing out there. Used to trivia. All right, Kim's going to kick us out. Tell us why it's the Phantom Menace with George. <laughs> it's not the Phantom Menace, but we're going close. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, Star Trek 4. No, I'm kidding. No. Uh, Star Trek 3, I mean, no. Um, no, this one, uh, you probably might be surprised that it's on number four, not further up the list, but it's uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie you might not have heard of. I know it's a little, a it's little thing. It's an indie thing. film. Well, it indie film, Jesus yeah. Christ, came out, it, it, came on af- it came out after Clerks. It kind of did it did really <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Star Wars is, of course, hugely influential for everyone at some point. Probably. Was it? 
No, I never. Yeah, it's, not, it's not a little everyone. thing. Not for everyone. For mo- for many people, at some point, as, as like the biggest behemoth, the behemoth, of whatever of behemoth. of of geek culture, of of nerd culture. Yeah, yeah. Rebuilt cinema, rebuilt this. Like, I can't imagine like. First time I saw it was like on VHS. That's one of the movies I want to go back and like to see that opening scene, that big. And I'm really uh, every year when they re- the new ones like Cinerama does the the run through of them all. And I'm like I want to go to one though, but they release it directly to theaters once a year. I think it's still a huge fucking hit. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but seeing that, you know, when I did, and then Empire and Jedi like in the same weekend essentially. Uh, I can't remember the exact time it was, but that was new way of storytelling, a new way of uh, approaching you know, characters and just being rip-roaring adventure. As I almost put Raiders in the spot instead, but I ended up putting mm-hmm. Star Wars because definitely, yeah, as much as I like Raiders of Lost Ark, Star Wars is one of my huge fandoms as it is for, for many. Um, that, you know, fandom, that, that something came out of that for me, that, like the first big fandom, that and Ghostbusters, probably. Uh, but that was more TV in this case. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love the movies, but the TV show is what I was really latched onto for Ghostbusters. Um, so, yeah, Star Wars, only the way it changed. You know, watching it as a, as a six-year-old, you know, in 1980-something, you know, late 80s, is it's mind-blowing. It just destroys you when you watch it. It's like, you don't see anything like it before, and you never see it, yeah. Huh? I was never a big. I mean, I I appreciate. Of course, you're a girl. No, well, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but honestly, I, that was part of it. Is for me, I watched him when I was younger. I'd see him on the TV. My brother'd watch him. I didn't dislike him. I wasn't super into them, and partially because there was no characters in them that I really related to. Even Princess Leia. I mean, my God, Carrie Fisher is a goddess. But, um, it. The, the main storylines were, I mean, other than I enjoyed Darth Vader more than anything else, they never really sung with me, partially because there just wasn't a lot for me. They weren't designed for me. I will say, I really enjoy the newer ones and not the Jar Jar Binks years. Yeah, oh, but I, I love the, the new trilogy. Um, yeah. But I, the new trilogy is the, is the one that I actually actively look forward to and, and will rewatch and own. I own the new trilogy. I don't care about owning the original. And I hate to say that part of that is because there's a lot more women and, and other representation in it, but it, for me, I'm just not interested in the first ones. And that's not as a, I mean, nothing against them, just they weren't my cup of tea. Now, showing much so I do love the, the new movies, like, it's not the new trilogy, but Rogue One is actually my second favorite Star Wars movie after yeah. New Hope. Dude. Yeah, I think Rogue One is terrific. Mm-hmm. I think this, it's a Sam Peckinpah action movie disguised as a Star Wars film. The scene on that destroyer when they're in that dark ass hallway and Vader turns on his fucking lightsaber, <laughs> I love watching that in the theaters. People as the manager at movie theaters, well, I walk in during that particular part. But going back to the original trilogy and watching that as a, as a kid, it was the same effect that it had for me as it, as Jason Argonauts did for Tony, where you're watching like, how did they do this? Yep. How does this work? To, you see all the different aliens, all the creatures, and as a kid, you don't really so much so much about special effects. You're just seeing, you know. The Death Star yeah. and the models eventually and you believe it. it. Yeah, because it's it's yeah. really it's not only that of using the practical effects of the time. It's it's encompassing, and it it's real living thing, not real living things. Death Star, you know what I mean? You know, and I, I actually like that you've brought this up because I think it's easy to take for granted um, what a cultural touchstone the movie is. And I, again, getting back to the fact that I 
I did see the 1910 Frankenstein <laughs> by Thomas Edison first run. Um, I was old enough to, uh, I was a very little kid at the time, but I actually saw Star Wars first run in a theater. And at that point in time, I had already spent a few years being a hardcore genre geek, and I had never seen anything like that. I had never seen I, I had never seen a genre movie um, like delivered with with like that kind of a list money and verve and special effects and also a couple of fucking old pros in it. I mean, you had Alec Guinness, uh, you know, an Oscar winner as uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, and you had Peter Cushing, one of the great character actors who happens to be one of the great horror icons of the 20th century, in it as well. And, yeah, I mean, I, I do remember being powerfully moved by that. I mean, I that would be on my top ten. It's not in my top five, but that would definitely be in my top ten just as a movie that opened up my eyes and also the eyes to millions of other people to the possibilities of genre cinema being more than just something that's ghettoized. And that's a really crucial turning point in film history, I think. So, so it goes from this being, like, this stupid kid thing to something bigger. Thank you. Bigger. Exactly, yeah. Uh, what was I... I was watching special. Uh, no, I was watching Twilight Sunday. I watched special features of that. Of course, that's 1959. Talking about how science fiction was definitely kitty, and then all of a sudden, like you get adults, adult take on that. Oh, I know. Then, real then real back, writers. And then it came back. Then it came back with Star Wars in a different way. Uh, but even then, like, and talking about going back to Clerks and the time that I jumped into film, then learning how everything was made, bought the script books, bought everything else from I'm there. I'm so glad you said Star Wars though, because mine I felt like fell into perfectly. the. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the at the, at the point there was like in the nineties there was the cult of Lucas and later on you realize how much it was Marsha Lucas and how much it was Kathleen Kennedy later on and, and everything else and on on everyone else who had their hand in the in the pot that he was taking yeah he was grabbing the handle for but um of do it yourself filmmaking in so many ways like, yeah and that was kind of my my gateway later on into learning about Scorsese and Coppola and Spielberg and so. Um, and I'm gonna, I can go on forever about Star Wars. So I'm going to pass that back on to Cody into something that apparently matches in some way. Oh, it does. <laughs> oh, dear. It does. And it if it's Star Crash? No, 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 no. <laughs> it is a space opera, an epic, Uh-oh. a beautifully done sci-fi horror film, and something that really, this whole series in general, but this one really ticks the boxes of, huh, I really like bad horror movies, don't I? And that is the true epicness of Leprechaun 4 <laughs> in space. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I watched that for the first time. I had to have been maybe 10. That was on Fear Fest. This is where Kim would say, fuck you, Cody. Yeah. I, you know what, Cody? I'm, I'm here with you. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Hell you yeah, had the cult of Brian Chenchard Smith. And... <laughs> Look, I mean, Star Wars is okay, but you don't got Warwick Davis coming out of some dude's penis. <laughs> Fair points. Holy crikey. Have you not seen Leprechaun 4? Ah! God help me, I Cinematic have Cinematic masterpiece. Whatever in your head is better than the actual movie, though I do own the trailer. The, the whole six, all six of the originals. And but. when you I do... I love that I'm hanging out with people who, like, own the entire Leprechaun. I have all the two new ones. Practically franchise. I, I own them, too. It's 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 a great fucking. It is the stupidest goddamn series. And the first one I saw was was part four. I was, it was it was midnight. It was, I was in a phase where I was trying to fake getting out of school a little bit. 
I was, I was always a good student, but I just didn't like getting up in the morning, so I'd stay up late. That's fair. And uh, during Fear Fest, or it used to be called Monster Fest. I think it, I think it was Monster Fest. It could have been Bravo. It was one of the two. Back in the day, I think it was Monster Fest. Yeah. And then it became Fear Fest. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think so. And I think it was a, a, I think it was AMC. It might have been Bravo. I don't get it. Doesn't matter. I saw that scene in the beginning where they take the fight to the leprechaun in his den <laughs> who has kidnapped an alien queen. Uh-huh. The leprechaun dies and then disappears up a dude's penis when he pisses in his little lair. The leprechaun eventually expands out of his penis, destroying him and killing him. The leprechaun grows to big size at right. one point. There is a spider creature that is introduced, because why not? John Peters is happy. This sounds like surreal brilliance to me, actually. It is absolutely Leprechaun by Bernard Brecht. <laughs> Bizarre. Because <laughs> it, it basically is, it's like, Ow. Oh, I'm a leprechaun, my dear. I'm in space, my dear. I love the fucking leprechaun. I love Warwick Davis, how he plays it. There's a reason I want that goddamn Buick that's got the leprechaun painted on it. You can do it yourself, man. I'm gonna... It's fucking rad. That's why. It is the coolest shit, and I'm probably gonna get my car painted like it one day. Nice. Um, Because, you know, and I I sat there, and I watched part four, and then I watched In the Hood, and then I watched In the Hood part two, and then they re-ran the first three. So I saw the entire (laughs) leprechaun series in the span of a day. That's wow. a lot of. And it, that's much whoa. leprechaun. Mm-hmm. It was like a. It that's was like a, that's a lot of leprechaun lot. Oh yes, laddie. <laughs> it's like somebody took some Lucky Charms, liquefied it, and just put it right in my ten-year-old vein. <laughs> I'll admit the the leprechaun movies. I have have fun in them. They're entertaining movies in many ways. I love the fact that you can just simply you can just throw off all the numbers and rearrange them and put them back in some different order and it makes no difference. Yeah, each of the no movies is their own movie. Even when he goes to the hood, twice. But he goes back to the hood. You can reverse those. And you can reverse no them. difference. No, no issue. <laughs> you know, because each of them are essentially their own leprechaun. I think there's some very cogent symbolism going on because in the early, in the late 19th and early 20th century, there was a lot of discrimination against the Irish, and so I think that using that, that bringing the leprechaun into the hood sort of unites that 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 um, uh, disenfranchised group from the past with a sadly still disenfranchised group of the present. So you have the African American and you have the uh, the Irish both kind of exploring and expressing their disenfranchisement. I think you thought about that more than <laughs> <laughs> It's like uh, you know my or... re- my retort to that is also lep in the hood. Lep in the hood. Lep in the hood. He does a rap. Of he course he does. Mm-hmm. And he as fights Ice T. Yes, Ice T is in the first one and he fights uh-huh. him. He bites his finger off in the beginning. Like oh man. That's one does. See, that's it. I I'm all about this shit. I I I have to shamefacedly admit I've only seen the first one. Oh, it's probably the worst of them, to be honest. Honestly, it's yeah. boring. The second yeah, one is I, a little I like bit the, of a I like the slog. second one. Well, the third one, that's where when he's in Vegas. That well, yeah, because that was that's, when it sh- that's when they hit the really just like, fuck it. Fuck it, we're doing what we want. We're, gonna, we're just doing this. <laughs> and, and 
and I appreciate franchises when they get to that point because that's usually where you get, you know, your garbage day moments or just your best, like... That movie went there. Your best, like, second bad shit nuts. Yeah. Your best, best desperation nuts. moments. Uh-huh. And also, when Bob does his scene of all this uh, March for <laughs> Leprechaun, <laughs> I will be co-starring That's one where you need to come over to my house and we can get drunk and watch all eight of them. Fuck movie. yeah. Oh, I am doing so it. Down. I would, I would, I would Have do me and I would totes join you. <laughs> I would do that. And then we can yeah. all do a scene of all together. Oh, dude. Drunken Bacchanalia of... Uh, like that, that's happening dude, totally. now. Totally. Right, well, Jameson. Let's see if we do it for Christmas for uh, for Silent Night. But I did that. It's yeah. partially delightful. It's going to be Bob's wife being like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Kim, what's, Kim, your, what's your number one? three? Um, okay. So... I was not a superhero movie person. Oh, I, I wasn't. I know where this is going. Yeah, Don't you know where it's going. It's that's why I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> Um, I feel like I need to because it's one that I actually debated whether or not I should put on here, but it is something that, that changed how I, I, I was never, I, like, Batman, sure, whatever. Again, I'd see them, didn't really care. <coughs> um, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, to, uh, in all fairness, I did like Iron Man, but at the time, Iron Man felt fairly standalone to me. I didn't see any of the others after Iron Man, and then I saw Avengers. I remember why I saw it. I think I rented it at Redbox one night because I had like an evening free, and I was like, "Whoa, what the fuck? This was fun. This was funny. This was I actually enjoyed this. This wasn't a slog. I didn't feel like, oh my god, stop being whiny bitches." Um, and so I went back and started watching all of the what had come out at that point, Captain America, um, which I liked, uh, uh, Thor, and. It, it's sort of, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit of a Marvel super fan. Like, this is this is also, the MCU was what made me like Spider-Man. I was never a Spider-Man person. Ever. I was bored by those movies. And Tom Holland is Spider-Man. He is my Spider-Man. He is an adorable little puppy. And I love that, I love how they presented him. I, the whole, and I think it comes back a little bit to my love of TV, being able to the way they built the world the way there's all of these crossovers and and i love that shit i live for that shit um and i read comics when i was younger i read superman and i read a couple but again the movies never really in i enjoyed lois and clark the new adventures of superman i did too well, well, who I, doesn't love a good that. dean cain yeah superman. exactly but i dream about that shit at night the, <laughs> but Avengers is really, for me, the turning point in shit. I like superhero movies, or at least I like these superhero movies. And part of its tone, part of it was the humor hit me in the funny place. And I am a Joss Whedon fan. I I have since, I've been grappling with some complicated feelings about him now that there's been some things that come to light. But, like, (coughs) Buffy was my world. And, And I love his sense of humor, and I love how he, his writing style, even if he doesn't always write women quite how I'd like him to. Um... And that that movie changed my opinion on superhero movies. I think it did for a lot of people too, because it's yeah, accessible. Absolutely. It's yeah. funny. You don't need to watch the previous version no. ones to get in. They succinctly explain who everyone is. Yeah. Just well enough that it isn't like oh, I know this if you've watched them all, but also not I'm lost for people who haven't. I, and I think it was a fantastic script for that. Oh, and and the and the ca- part of it's the cast yeah. they've been able to bring all in. Charming. Uh, they brought in some really I mean Oscar winning actors um legendary actors I, it was in in the 
Captain America Winter Soldier, you've got fucking Robert Robert, Robert, Robert Redford, Redford coming in to play. I'm like and Glenn Close in, in Guardians of the Galaxy Glenn Clo- in, in a small part yeah. too. In a, in, a, in a small part, John C. Riley in the game, in a fairly small part. Yep, they're assholes. Um, well, Kurt Russell too. Yeah. Like just these great, like fuck yeah, it's you did. Like who they're gonna get next? And that fucking Benning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you and 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 the amazing younger talent that they're that they're bringing in and um absolutely it's. I, I admire so much what they've done. It, I got my parents into it by showing them Avengers. I was like, trust me, you'll watch this, then you're going to want to go back and watch the others. Trust me. And my mom was real like, uh, I don't like superhero movies. I'm like, mom, neither do I. And yet I own pretty much all of them now. So that really was, um, that was a huge, huge, huge turning point for me. Dude, I love Avengers. It helped me through a really pretty rough time. It came around right around when my dad died. Mm. Oh, wow. Like, he was in Hoffa's house, and I went and saw it with my with my brother-in-law. And I went back during three or four times, saw it, and then I watched all of the other Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I feel it. Yeah. And they're just, they're It fun. was not the superhero movie I thought you were going to say. Oh, oh. <laughs> not Howard the Duck? Yeah. <laughs> Howard of course. the Duck. First of I, all, duck tits. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, they're movies that make me happy. Where like, well, even when they make me sad, they make me happy to watch, and they're fun, and I just enjoy them. Well, and they're formula movies done right. Yeah. is the thing. Yes. I mean, I there's there's really something to be said about the Midas touch that Marvel has in terms of their casting. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. both veteran actors and the new ones. I mean, geez, Tom Holland oh, is yeah. faultless as Peter Parker, mm-hmm. aka Spider Man. He's mm-hmm. perfect. Just wait until the Sony um, ones. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll keep our fingers we can't crossed. Can't make sure we lost them in the things will go in. That'll go favorable. Well, and and for Robert Downey Jr. Uh, joining the MCU, I mean, oh, rebuild his career, it, hand it rebuilt in his glove. Career. Yeah. Yes, you know, and honestly, with Chris Evans too, because he'd already yeah. had that failed launch with the Fantastic Four movie, couple which he was terrific. Yeah. 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 Um. But no, I I I I'm unapologetic in my love for those movies, and and they they really, and I'm I also feel like now. I am more willing now to give certain movies a try that I wouldn't have before because of that. And uh, if uh, we did have a like a two and a half hour long discussion on uh, on Avengers, right. which you can find on our podcast, <laughs> just a couple yeah. down. If you haven't listened to that one, you can pop that up and find everything for what we want to think about for Marvel and a little with DCU bashing usually. <laughs> Wonder Woman, <laughs> Jason Momoa, shirtless. Sure haven't had that. In a while. <laughs> Tony. Okay, um, this is one that I saw in high school. Um, I had just stumbled home after a date. It was late at night. I was still living with my parents. Sorry. Kevin and Dr. Caligari. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of, oh, crap, what's a joke I can make in this? Fuck you, Bob. All right, there we go. Um, Yeah, it was late at night. Uh, I was still living with my parents. Everyone was in bed. Sitting on top of the VCR, yes, this is my dated old geezer alert, was a VHS tape that my parents had rented earlier that day. I still have no idea whatsoever if they even watched it. So I was home late at night, and I slid the tape into the player, and I turned out the lights, and I settled in. It was the first time that I saw Suspiria. Oh, uh, yeah. In the dark, it your list somewhere. Dude, of course. I knew it would be on there somewhere. What is your Thank word? you. Uh, in the dark, alone, and with the sound turned up just enough to have Goblin score 
completely seep into my being. I had never seen anything like it, and I doubt I ever will again. Um, this is a movie that, yes, it is overrated as hell, and so much has been written about it over the last four decades that anyone watching it today is not likely going to experience the impact that I did during my first viewing quite a few years ago. Um, whenever anybody asks me about this movie or whenever I'm on the bully pulpit about it, I say please try to filter out all the background noise and all of the raving in both corners, in both camps, and just let the movie work its magic. Because I think as a... As a a pure example of nightmare logic. Uh, it's it's second to none. I, it, it totally changed my my life, and it totally changed my outlook on horror. It made me realize that you know that people who are making horror were creating dark art. I mean, anybody who sees that movie, even if you're not a big fan of it, cannot deny that you could blow up any single frame of that movie and put it on your wall. It's like it's like that beautifully shot, dude. If I ever won the lottery, I just want to buy an old timey castle and fill it with uh, giallo pictures. Fuck yes, <laughs> fuck yes. So yeah, all the black gloves. Yeah, and I mean, and it started a lifelong love of Dario Gento's movies for me. Period. Yeah, I wonder how long until Italians in the mouth popped its way in here. <laughs> Thank you. It would have been Spiria's me or Cody one. drumming it up for sure. Yeah, I think definitely Suspiria is a game changer. Yeah. I didn't see it till 2001 or so. Yeah, I was an adult when I saw it for the first time. 2010. You know, and that just goes back to it's really interesting how how strongly, you know, one person can react to a movie versus another just by dint of something as simple as their age and the way they saw it. Yeah. Same damn movie, but it affects two people totally different. Yeah, I think random from random from Hollywood video and like uh, absolutely yeah, was floored by it. That was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Especially that Oh, and, uh, not really the opening, but the the first kills. Oh, there's yeah. one scene before that because it's like but 20 the, minutes in the movie when that right. happens. Yeah, people the, the will say the opening scene. scene. Yeah, just more of the the earliest score scene, you know, rather than yes. the actual opening sequence. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that alone, like, could stand on as a short film. Absolutely. You know, as, as it is, you don't need the other. So it's a masterclass in how to make horror cinema. Absolutely. Um, speaking of horror, speaking of horror cinema, that's what we're still going horror, not horror cinema. <laughs> um, I, so I'm a, a little bit of a cheat here, where I have two movies that are linked because they they wed into each other and then led into everything from there. Um, and when I've mentioned those both these in the past as really the gateways for so much, uh, Scream slash Evil Dead Two, because mm. uh, yeah, Scream as, as Corks did, Scream came out when. I really started to kind of delve into film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Born 1982 came out what 95, 96. Yeah, we were um, we were uh, early like just late the right school, age. Early yeah. high school. When I'm starting allowed to rent my own movies, I'm yeah. friends. I, I go out on our own. Fuck you, Cody. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was that already, one was on my possible list. So yeah. I'm, I'm, there, I'm there with you with Scream specifically. Yeah, and it was, and that's of course that's how I met Kenneth. So wouldn't yeah. do this podcast if it wasn't for Scream. That's so, true. Of our, uh, our panel. Our very, it was my very first panel ever. Was the Scream panel. And um, so we were. Uh, I didn't uh, realize that. That's yeah. totally cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how Bob and I first met. Awesome. And then, uh, and then we had dinner right with you and, and Jennifer. Yeah, because that was the same. Because we did the. Some you had panel. some panel right yeah. after I, that. I couldn't even and tell then we you went what to the dinner. panel was. But, I, I always track myself. Yeah. 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 But, um, but the thing with, with Scream is like, then it, it's the movie that like, you know, it was a massive hit and yeah. brought horror back. 
Um, I was already a horror fan at that point, but mostly universal and classic stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, now it's a modern movie that I was allowed to watch and my friends watched and we loved, and we went to find everything we could from there. And uh, which then leads to <laughs> Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two and everything there. Where I think, you know, I think I said this before in the past, like when you become a horror fan, you start to dig into under the surface level. That first, you put that shovel in the. First thing you dig out, and the first thing you see is Evil Dead. You imprint, <laughs> yes. yeah. and that's like, and that's like the first dig in the next level of horror. And that's how I really found how much I love my, my horror comedies, my my gore flicks. It, Evil Dead Two is incredibly gory, but it's gory enough uh, that that we tried you know, Dead Alive stuff like that. And that's like that first dig under Scream is when you come to Evil Dead. Uh, that's when you started going to bad movies out org, much so fan game. Fin, Pinago, Pingoria, started getting Pingoria and Gorezone and all those magazines. That's when I really jumped in. It was that first step, and then like Scream is the shallow end, and then Evil Dead was like jumping off the diving board. And so that's why I linked them together. I was like, wasn't sure which one to put, but because they led directly to each other, and that so between the two of those together, that really just really you know jumped into horror. Well, they're both game changers, mm. like for for different reasons, but they're both decidedly game changers for the horror genre. I, again, you know, old, old geezer alert, I actually saw The Evil Dead first run in a theater opening weekend. And it was, it was before I really clicked into the irony of horror comedy. And the fact that The Evil Dead, despite its very gritty, visceral quality, is a horror comedy. Yeah. I mean, when, when Evil Dead 2 came out, that's, that movie is obviously an over-the-top uh, black comedy uh, soaked with blood. It's not quite as obvious in Evil Dead, the original, because there's a lot of visceral energy to it and that, that you didn't see in conventional horror movies at that time. And I think for the, at least for the Evil Dead, the first one there, is that the, it's comedic in the sense of how gleeful it is into that visceralness. Oh, totally. Rather yeah. than being directly funny. Yes, it, you, there's an enjoyment you can tell behind the camera that leads yeah. into the, the front of it. Even you, if it's the most horrible, nasty stuff you're watching, you can tell they're having fun and like they think it's more comedic. Yeah, there's so <laughs> much energy in that movie, and and that's a good point because Evil Dead Two is basically Buster Keaton with viscera. I mean, it, it really it it is a total uh, it, it totally like ups the ante in terms of the the over the top uh, comedy factor, and it's a great movie. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's something about the impact of the first one that uh, that really registers strongly. I mean, uh, and again, getting back to the top ten thing, if I had a top ten, that would that that experience would be on my list easily. Fabulous calls. Thank you, sir. Cody. There's there's a positive. Did we, did we lose contact? <laughs> Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I'm trying to determine which one I want to do first. Fuck it. Dawn of the Dead 2004. Yeah, nice. Oh, mm. I love that movie. First movie to... One of the first movies to actually scare the golden shit out of me. Ah. I'm fat. I fear zombies. I fear running <laughs> zombies even fucking more. <laughs> there's no way you're fucking surviving shit with those. Like... And the special feature where they actually have the news footage that they did scared the living crap out of me. I made my mom sell the movie. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I was terrified of it for years afterward. 
traumatized me, and now it's one of my favorite movies. I love it. It's a good adrenaline fueled, yeah. just zombie romp. I I think the opening between the first scene and the end of the credits is one of the best in horror history and the one best in movie history. Using the man comes around there is great. Oh, oh yes, the use of music in that movie in general, I think, is really spectacular. And how they splice the. Um, the real footage and with the you know the shit that they yeah. shot, and it's it's because it is it, it, it from this from this perspective of this lady, she goes home from work. She has oh, sex, Sarah Polly, who's Sarah Pauly, yeah. excellent in the movie. Who is, and, and she she gave up acting pretty shortly after. She doesn't act yeah. too much anymore. No, she did a couple of directing things, a couple of things here and there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. She I remember she really wanted to be a director right after that, but it wound up being she just is a nurse. You see things on your second watch where you're like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, there's some stuff in the background, but you're thinking, okay, it's just a normal thing. Particularly if you're just going about your, I'm going home, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going not, home. Yeah. I'm going to have sex with my husband. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to sleep together. We conveniently miss every news report. And then next thing you know, you wake up and your husband's getting his fucking face chewed off after his, the neighbor girl breaks in. And then, but that scene where she first gets out of the, um, uh, the bathroom and she mm. runs around to the car yeah. and you see her neighborhood just in chaos and that and that's and, and, and her escaping the neighborhood and then her almost getting carjacked granted this happens in the first 10 minutes no spoilers it's, plus it's a 2004 movie it's 15 years old now. it's 15 it's years old it's a remake old. of one of the Jeez. biggest horror films of it's all time 15 okay. years old 15 that's years old depressing and <laughs> when it ends you know with her getting especially for some of us pretty much knocked out and then that <clears throat> That thing is like you know you 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 establish a universe and you end it within ten minutes and I and I like that yeah and it's it really does the zombie apocalypse well and it yeah. sells how terrifying it would be that you know there's no oh look at we're us we're cool survivalists no it's us ten we got lucky we got locked in the fucking mall where we have food where we have stuff for to now do. for now for now <clears throat> and then. You know, the, the fact that they're running, there's nowhere to really ever be safe from them. Yeah. It's, unless it's locked underground, or it's locked in a mall, or it's locked somewhere, or it's... You know, and it, even that that scene, you know, at the end when they're trying to get out. Yeah. And I love that scene as well, because I, I, I've seen all the material that you could possibly imagine on it. And they actually shot the zombies about a... In in universe, it's about a month. So they're like when they're getting shot in the, the ending scenes, that uh, the blood has turned black. And they've been dead that long. They've been dead, <laughs> and um, when they start to run, you can see parts of their like legs coming moving. off. And yeah. Well, because that's also one that uh, if you watch Modern Family, you will be scarred for life. Yes. <laughs> The, the dad from you, from Modern Family, I was Ty, Ty, uh, Burnell. Ty Burrell, Burrell yeah. Uh, who playing a very different kind of character. Yeah, you get to see him be a dick, bang a chick in a mm-hmm. lingerie store, and then become a zombie. Yeah, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that movie for me like had a big influence, and for me, like not not enough to be my top five by any means. But of how I approached a lot of remixes, I'll admit like at that time I was on the Fangoria message board, just a bunch of us on there. Um, and then uh, some of the people who post actually in 100 Days of Horror right now were on there too, like Emmy Black. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> uh, so we were just hating on the movie. Like, so much. As soon as it was announced and the moment was announced, 
bitching and moaning, complaining about it. Like every, it was kind of a running gag. And we were at Fangoria Week in Horse 2004 in at January, and they put up uh, cards and posters. And I feel like a dick for doing this now, but we did take, we took all the cards and posters and put them in the trash. And it, we were idiots, okay, um, and drunk. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, but so so when it came out, uh, it came out like in April of that year, and I bought tickets to that. And uh, Eternal Sunshine Swallow It's Mine came out the same night. Parent to fully hate watch it. Like, I'm, you know, if I'm gonna bitch about it, I should watch it first. And I watched it. That first opening scene happens, and it won me over. Then the movie, like, this is fucking brilliant. And I was like, I ate, I ate my hat, and I was like, that movie was fantastic, and I shouldn't. Just because it's a remake of one of the best horror films of all time, doesn't mean we discount it as something that can be good on its own. Because it also took its very own perspective on it. I mean, even down to the fact that you have fast zombies. Mm. Um, and James it, Gunn is someone who loves the genre. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that make, well, it makes a difference, though, I feel like. When, Absolutely. When someone is a genre fan, then they treat it with respect, we hope. They treat mm-hmm. it with respect, and they treat it at least with, with love. Um... No, that's one that anytime I catch it on again, I watch it. I love that version. They did a past is great. Scream like, Factory did a really yeah, good came out last year. Ooh, I may have to look uh, at that. And I have to say, I was, uh, you know, I was with you in terms of being really super skeptical, and I avoided seeing it for at least a good, probably eight years after it came out, just because at least one or two people that I knew whose opinions I kind of respected were like, if you like the original, you will hate this. How dare this exist? And the, the thing is, I will admit, I was really reticent about fast zombies. Because one of the things I think that makes the Romero zombie movies effective is that I think that those lumbering, slow zombies are brilliant, if very broad, semaphore for the inevitability of death. Yeah. And... That, when you, in my mind, if you took that away and made all the zombies fast-moving revenants, that, that that key kind of symbolic weight would be taken away. But I saw, the, I saw the remake, and I was incredibly impressed, incredibly impressed with how well it was directed, uh, how strong like the characterizations were. I mean, it's it's one of those great pulp movies where the characterizations are telegraphed in a in a very short amount of time with a very minimal amount of dialogue and action. But you feel like you know these people, and you feel like you can relate to them. And all of these situations come up in that wonderful genre movie way where you're like, "What would I do?" And because you're exploring that so much as you're watching this movie, it's a real credit to how powerful. Um, it is and how good of a job Zack Snyder and definitely James Gunn did in terms of creating their own thing. And it's, I think it's... Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, not at all. I think it's really interesting that the Romero zombies, like, they, they're they like, you know, they're beatable on, mm-hmm. a, on a level oh, that yeah, yeah. people just don't work together. And I think instead of trying to follow that and be like, oh, this isn't really a movie about human conflict, it's like, no... This is a movie where a bunch of people get really fucked. It's like, these zombies don't care if you can work together. You're going to die regardless. Yeah. You are locked in there. It's an isolation flick, too. Like, when they're up on the roof and you just see miles and miles of nothing but zombies. They are, they flooded the streets. And that's what I think a lot of zombie fiction loses. Yeah. Especially in today, you know, everybody thinks, oh, it's desolate street corners. It's like, no, you know how many fucking people are here? Like, in America alone? I mean, if a zombie apocalypse happened... Look at Seattle. 
the streets would be filled with dead people. You yeah. would not be able to get anywhere. You wouldn't be able to... They could overturn cars. Yeah. The only way for you to ever escape is to be underground somewhere, high up somewhere, or on, like, a deserted island. Yeah. Which, ironically, plays into the ending. Yeah. Uh, Kim, what's, uh, what's your number two? Uh, well, I have... Mine aren't in really a specific yeah, order. But, yeah, but uh, Which Tarantino are you gonna pick, Kim? Fuck you, Cody! But <laughs> <laughs> uh, The one where... He ha- he does. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you the Tarantino I picked. <laughs> the one where all the shit he pulls on his female actors gets done to him. <laughs> so where he gets strangled and he forces someone to do a dangerous stunt in a car when they don't want to do it and spits on them and other fun things. Anyway, and points a camera at his feet for three hours. <laughs> um, my mine is I guess maybe my version of Clerks a little bit. Uh, the Craft. Ah, yeah. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Like it, it, it was. It was a movie I saw when I was a teenager, and it was just like, I don't know. It, I feel like there's the craft and there's Clueless, and both of those. Solid film. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and I debated actually which one of those two to officially put on my list because they were very influential for different reasons, but also for similar reasons. They just very much encompassed a lot of what it was to be a teenager at that point, especially feeling like a teenager who was I not an outcast because that makes it sound sad like my high school wasn't really like that but like when you were a drama kid and when you were a debate kid and a band kid like Dude, me too yeah I'm you there. we were there was just an otherness a little yeah. bit you weren't so surprised as like they were in the no, movies no no yeah uh because again my, my high school wasn't like it was very clicky, but it wasn't mean clicky. Yeah, mine was. I don't think most high schools are actually not mean clicky. Yeah, it's a movie thing. It's it, but um, but feeling like you were still somebody who, not necessarily in a malicious way, but people thought were weird. Yes. Like um, and and having this like coven of girls who were discovering their magic, and then maybe taking it too far. Um. That was a real thing for me. Uh, so that was one that, and, and and sort of in the same vein, clueless, but for different mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, like what it was to be kind of a teenage girl. Uh, and appreciating that, uh, and I mean, it, the movie has some insanely silly moments. But I... Or clueless, pick, take your pick. They yeah, do. true that. Uh, but you know, it was also very indicative of the '90s, and I don't see when when uh, the craft actually came out. I would say '96. Yeah, um, yeah, '96. And so, I mean, I was I was not quite in high school yet, and so I would have seen this like in that time, going from middle school to high school, and. Um, the 90s were so specific in filmmaking, too, particularly oh, yeah. in, in the teen movies that came out of the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, it it was one that I was like, this was a movie that was made for me. And, and kind of going back to what we were talking about, I didn't feel that a whole lot. I didn't feel like there were a lot of movies that were made for me a lot of the time. And I felt like this is a movie that was made for me. Yeah, when you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that, that, those two, those two fit together very easily. Yeah. Um, I, full disclosure, I saw The Craft for the first time a little less than three years ago. Oh, wow. And it held up really fucking well. Yeah. V- 
that movie really works. And I think it, yeah, it is very 90s, but at the same time, it also taps into, it's a, it's a wonderful fable in terms of um, laying out the uh, kind of classic microcosm of high school cliques really contained in like the, the interactions between, you know, four young women, four girls. And also, Feruza Balk is just oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. fucking phenomenal. That when, that woman is just like a force of nature in that movie. And oh, how quickly you can go from being because this was something too. I mean, this is for I think a lot of people, but this is a girl thing. You are best friends, and then fuck that bitch. <laughs> and that is such a girl. Do not thing. pass go. Do not collect. And particularly a teenage girl thing. You are the best of friends. And then you're not, and there's usually a boy involved, and um, or some really, really superficial imagined slight, and so that's also I, I think a lot of you know both Clueless and The Craft. You have these very um, these. It's by the it's by the refrigerator, Tony. <laughs> uh, you, Tony's cleaning up trash. <laughs> he's trying to. It's garbage no day. It's garbage very, day. I'm being very OCD. Don't mind me. Uh, continue, please. Anyway, oh, sorry. My, my 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 main memory of the craft is is the first thing Gloria I ever bought mm. of my own money. Like this, yeah, I went to my lawn bought some in the past, but the of of had the craft on the cover was the mm. uh, was that one. Uh, yes. Now, we, I I think we should all start our own witches coven craft style. What makes you think I haven't? The City of Geek Witches Cousin. <laughs> Discovery of Witches. You should, uh, you should see what the honey chat turns yeah. into sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more of a horror honey's thing. <laughs> we, we, already, we were a coven, and now we're a WhatsApp coven. Actually, now, 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 it's, now it's called the boob chats. <laughs> Shout out to the ladies in the boob chat. Um, that is what the current uh, honey chat is. It's in WhatsApp, and it's called the boob chat. Yeah, so right. We'll just rename the City of Geek the three penises and... And a, and a vagina. <laughs> Three penises and a vagina. So it's like three men and a little yeah. lady. <laughs> Directed by Spock. But you know, uh, that sounds like a euphemism for your vajayjay, actually. Uh, uh, Tony, what's your number two? Uh, well, my, my... And this is in no particular order, yes. so... The, but the, the I think of anyone fourth one I have on the list is actually another horror movie, and this is one that, again, came at the time where it really super impacted me. I was about, uh, again, going to betray my old geezer roots here. I was about 10 or 11, and I saw this movie first run in a theater. It was the first horror, It was the first movie that I saw that really made me want to write about movies. I remember watching the film and thinking to myself, I could tell at this age that I was watching a movie where somebody had very little money, but they did something that was... <laughs> an enormous the, 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 where you could see an enormous amount of ingenuity and creativity in it and from that standpoint just seeing somebody fabricate something magical from a minuscule budget it just it just totally inspired me and I was like I want to know how this guy did this the movie that did that for me was Phantasm Ooh. 1979 I saw it first run in a theater three times God help me and I was just completely floored at the at the sense of imagination that was there. I could tell that I was watching something on a rinky-dink budget, but I could also tell that the people who made it loved what they were doing mm -hmm. and really crafted something magical out of pocket change. And to this day, again, that was the first movie where I... 
I like every kid who sees movies and is inspired by them. Practically, I think I was I was if I was on a kick of like wanting to make movies for you know however many years in junior high or whatever. But the the sustained result of my fondness of that movie and the impact the movie had on me was the fact that it made me want to write about film. It made me want to dissect why does this work. Why is it that I can tell this movie was made for pocket change, and yet it's it's like moving me so powerful? They're they're creating these images out of nothing. It really made me appreciate like the the magic that goes into a good genre movie on a budget, and it made me admire how art can be created within very very restricted confines. And to this day, I, I mean that's that's something that I can thank that movie for me having written about film for like God knows how many years. You know, if you say Phantasm three times, mm. Jason Morrison, Morrison <laughs> <appears>. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's mine. Yeah. It's a great, yeah, film. That's a, that's great a, film. You know, and I actually had a similar reaction when I saw it for the first time because I didn't see it for the first time until like 2013. Oh, wow. And I'm like, holy shit. I don't know. It just, that's a movie that can just be described as it fucking works. It resonates. It, literally. It just, yeah. yeah. And, and warts and all. You know, I mean, watching oh, yeah. it today, I can see all the faults in it. But you can also still, after fucking, cheese the movie is over 40 years old now. Okay, I can feel my bones creaking as I say those words. Uh, it's still, you can still feel the, the energy and the love that's in that movie. And, you know, Coscarelli has really flown the flag for just strong, independent genre cinema for decades now. And uh, yeah, I just it's I I absolutely adore the movie. Period. End of sentence. All right, Bob. All right. Bob. So uh, for my number two or four pick, however you look at it, because I'm mm-hmm. only one doing rankings here. <laughs> the uh, is also the movie that came out when I was about ten years old, uh, and it was the movie almost the same thing I did for you, uh, in a different way. Uh, turned me from a passive viewer to an active viewer of realizing how films are made and how. St- structure happens both in in a creation film because when this came out it was there's so many documentaries there were books it, the whole story around it became how they made it uh and it's still one of the most well put together pieces of cinema for special effects and story special special effects here um it's gonna be jurassic park mm. oh <laughs> yeah uh it's like it's Shit, fun watching yeah. say like oh i like one thing i like about doing this so far is like Everyone's lead in's like, I right, find the clues of what movie I'm going to watch. Except for me, I'm just like, fuck it, Hillary's America. <laughs> uh, but uh, for Jurassic Park, yeah, I like so that, much though. of it Thank coming into Thank you for the build. It. Thank you for the build. It's coming into it because it was on TV. Like, this is, we, this is how we made the T Rex. But also, when you look about it later, even now, it, it still stands up because you get the mixtures of different versions of special effects yeah. coming into you get You get different, you get the giant T Rex, you get the tiny one, you get stop motion. Well, you don't know stop motion. They made stop motion, you didn't use it. Uh, thank you, Phil Tippett. Um, uh, you get the everything came together to create this giant film that that of course it has a much much more massive budget than Phantasm had, but also there's there's an incredible love there and a skill that Spielberg does in making oh, it. Oh, totally! Yeah. That that uh, guy is a brilliant director. Yeah. He, I I don't care anybody who slags him as being overly sentimental. I just so all look I at Jurassic Park. Thank you. In I Jurassic would, Park and Schindler's List in the same fucking. Thank movie. you. And <laughs> I would I would point to the scene with the with the frickin is it a water cup or coffee cup yeah, where you see water. where yeah. you see the liquid being disturbed 
as the as the the footprints of the and dinosaur get closer. <laughs> that, like great, yeah. that is great, great filmmaking. Period. Yeah, the uh, the, Full stop. the T Rex paddock attack I think is one of the best sequences in film ever. Yeah, it's I agree. Perfection. Uh, and the but also coming into it when I watched it the first time, it's like I've already watched all the specials, so I knew what I was about to watch. Uh, it didn't take me out of it. It took me more into it. Because you can, you're seeing this. Now I'm looking. I'm seeing the strings. Pull the strings. Pull the strings. No, <laughs> it's it's seeing the strings coming into the movie, and that's what made me love filmmaking and how it all comes together and how every bit builds into itself. So that's Jurassic Park was the movie that made me love film. Awesome, Cody. Cody. All right, so I'll give a nice detailed build up to this. Okay. <laughs> So a young boy was browsing the internet for one of his favorite movies. Is this the he, Grinch porn? Okay. Yeah, you know, it's the Grinch porn. It could actually be. He was looking. Hmm. He doesn't have the DVD. It's 2006. He goes and he clicks on what he thinks it is. Oh no. And it turns out it is the Grinch. <laughs> the Grinch porn. It's actually not. I just wanted to build up to that, and the fact that Bob guessed it makes it even better. <laughs> it is the Grinch porn. It is not. My film is actually the 2000 version of the Grinch. Believe it or not. It is, believe it. It is one of my favorite fucking Christmas movies yeah. ever. It is one of the only Christmas movies that I watch every year. I am not a big Christmas movie person. I'm not somebody who just sits there and watches them. I will make time for a few I will make time for one specifically. I love that movie. I think it is fun. I owned every piece of fucking merchandise that they would sell. <laughs> I owned the ketchup. I had <coughs> the both the green and the purple ketchup. I owned the create your own cookie. I owned all of the Grinch action figures. The one where you pushed him and his heart lit up. <laughs> it had Jim Carrey's face on it and the one from the animated series. I love the animated. Don't oh, get me wrong. Oh, I was like, wait, there was a, you mean the original yeah, the animated series? I was like, not the animated series, you know, special. Batman. Um, I owned every. I owned the game, and then I went back when I was a teenager and I rebought the game so I could play it again. Wow. I I, I broke out the eBay on that one. Um, I absolutely adore everything about that movie. From the sets, I think Jim Carrey is the perfect Grinch. Um, I love the Grinch just in general. That is why I would. That's why I, I, I've even watched the Grinch porn from beginning <laughs> to end. It's not particularly sexy, but goddamn it, I'm going to consume every bit of Grinch <laughs> media I can. Well, and the thing with that is like the same thing for like Jurassic Park for for me. You know, seven years earlier, it's also something that they put out all the details of how they made it before the movie came out. Yep. Uh, and there is a lot of great production value. I, I remember like, in the movies of the watching day, like the the sneak peeks and how they did stuff on I think the Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon, and it was just it's so much fucking fun. I could watch that movie. I watch it sometimes when it's not Christmas time. Oh, it's, I yeah, own I it Christmas three Christmas. times. I own a VHS copy in the clamshell. I own a DVD copy I got in a Circuit City in 2007 on Black Friday for a dollar. <laughs> wow. I own the Blu-ray twice. Actually, I own, it, I own it four times. I own the book that came out right around the movie that is The Grinch, except with pictures from the movie. I huh. own a couple of magazines. I, I have a pretty significant collection that's wow. at my house. My mom's house, you know, it's it's locked away. 
Not you like bought I'm... and stuffed Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I for Max to die, dug him up when his owners fucking buried him, and stuffed the little bastard. And he is currently sitting in a Rubbermaid in my mom's garage. <laughs> Own. I was kidding. I don't think Cody is. <laughs> uh, you know, one of my dream vacations is to go to the Universal Studios where they actually there. it's got falling the, apart. It's I, I would want to go there just to see it one time in my life. That that is how much the Grinch weirdly touched me as a child. <laughs> and I said that intentionally. I know. That's why I'm not here. But um, Grinch did do I have to do a whole... Okay. You don't have to do a whole intro. I need to know every bit of merchandise you own about this movie. The Grinch? Or the no, <laughs> no. Whatever your movie is. Um, you can have White and Ken all across the once. You can have right and no foreplay. Just try. No foreplay, just try. Uh, well, I was going to say, I was, uh, I was 10 or 11. I can't remember exactly. Um, and we were... So my brother and I, we were at a family friend's house. And they... we This was when we were at our cabin. So... Our family friends, one of the reasons we liked going over there is that they were old friends of my folks. So they'd all be downstairs talking for hours, and they had an honest-to-God satellite dish because this was the 90s, early 90s at that. Uh, and so my brother and I would go to town watching things that we never got access to. All the pay channels, all the movie channels. Movies that just came out would be on these these pay movie channels, and because they had a satellite dish, they got access to all of them. Um at this point in time, I had already watched, I'd already been a horror fan for years, uh, but most of the horror I watched was filtered through television versions. Mm -hmm. So I watched all of the <clears throat> Friday the 13th movies, but on the edited for television. I watched all of the child's plays edited for television. So um, it's not that I hadn't seen anything with some gore in it, but for the most part, what I had viewed had always been edited for television. And my brother picked a movie that, to this day, is one that sticks with me and remains, like, that, that was kind of my introduction into a more uh, heavier horror, which it, it isn't even necessarily that heavy, but when you're 10 or 11. Yeah, for the time. And you're seeing it uncut. And you're seeing it before. Yeah. But also, um, there being a... And I don't think at that age I really understood why, but a genuine like eroticism to horror. I'm really concerned. Go about on. Horror. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, Candy Man. Uh, okay, so I was wondering uh, which movie we're going for here. Candy Man. <laughs> I was, I was worried this was going to go into E.T. territory. <laughs> no. I was worried it was going to go into necromantic territory. <laughs> yeah. but, but, I mean, Tony Todd, there is... I, I feel like I'm not alone in saying this, ladies or men or anyone. Um, Tony Todd as the Candyman, like, sweets for the sweets, you know, be my victim. Like, that's it's it's kind of hot. Seductive. It's seductive. It's a, It's alluring. Uh, well, and, and you have one of the most mellifluous baritone voices oh, in cinema, yeah. disgorging those lines. It's and like, and it's enticing and inviting, and 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 is meant to be. Uh, he he talks to her like a lover, even as he's talking about death. Uh, but it was, you know, a, a, a little bit of a step up from Friday the Thirteenth uh, in terms of the the gore level. 
uh, particularly when most of that have been filtered through edited for television. Yeah. You know, as much fun as Jason Takes Manhattan is, it's not, it's ridiculous, you know? And the hook gutting people, you know, from growing up, like, oh, those just, um, yeah, that the, the, the visuals from that stayed with me for a long time. But also... Uh, Tony Todd's voice and, and the idea of the Candyman, the character of the Candyman. Yeah. You know, nobody looks at Jason Voorhees, well, I hope not, and thinks, wow, he's hot. There, there is a point. Just parody, Pamela. Though. I'm sure there is. There's um, a point parody for everything, probably including Candyman, theoretically. But, but this was Looking a, it up. Oh, God. This is terrifying. <laughs> uh, but this was a movie that is designed to walk that line between um, why death can be enticing and and murder and and i mean the same way dracula is enticing well yeah there's a dark romanticism to the movie that still resonates and it's so good on so many levels and i I really think a lot you know a fair amount of the appeal really does hinge on tony todd's performance which is amazing virginia madsen is is fantastic it's such a good movie we're yeah it's it is easily it's it's like Easily one of my top three um, horror films of the 90s. Yeah. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, but it, it was really game-changing for me because it was like, oh, shit, this isn't just... I think I was raised on a lot of monster films, like cheesy 70s monster films, Squirm and Slugs and all that, and I was raised on a lot of, of slashers that used to air on TV, and mm-hmm. this was something different, but I liked it. So it was this, oh, crap, this is something else, and... It was sort of the next... I mean, I think what you were saying with, with Scream for You, this was sort of me taking the next step. It's a movie that hands you the shovel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it did. It did. Yeah, I, that, that's a phenomenal... I mean, I actually only saw it about ten years ago, so I didn't see it that long ago. <coughs> and I was absolutely floored. I th- I, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's such a great movie on so many levels, and I, that's one of the times when I wish I was younger and I could have experienced it as a very young kid and just how how what a strong impression it would have made on oh, me and obviously it did possibly my dating life too sorry Candyman's <laughs> actually one that hey, I have not Candyman's a hard act to follow so I own it it's on my 100 days of horror I haven't seen okay, it okay I was gonna say because if I you mean, I'm going to see it when you watch it if you want to live tweet it or anything, I will watch it with you even though I can't count it 100 days because I will always watch Candyman. But that don't, sounds and, uh, like a good time. Don't, get, don't, don't let our huzzahs impact you either way. Just go in and try and watch the movie cold and let it do what it does. You try and watch well. it cold, but it's going to make you so hot. It's going to make you so but hot. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's one a friend of mine gave me the Blu-ray too, so I, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty. Awesome as yes. half the stuff oh. on our list is. Just like <laughs> if you ever watch the New York Ripper, I will watch it with you because I have the Blu-ray and I need to watch it. Just an excuse. <laughs> All right. All right. I help you out, brother. You help me out. Moving on. See how you do. Yes. Oh, by the way, I looked it up. There is no Candyman porn parody, although I did see a female pinhead, and I'm kind of questioning Oh, I've seen things. that, yeah. I've I mean, I haven't seen that, but I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've Got to look better than the one in Judgment. I'll send you the link. <laughs> Revelation. Please do. Seriously. Please do. We know Seriously. what Tony's doing later. But a bump. Watching how Asian Revelations. Yeah, da, da, da. Um, I. 
the last movie that I'm I, I think I'm on number five now. This is the last yeah. round. Yeah. Um, yeah, the last movie I'm, I'm going to mention is actually the one that I saw when I was of all these that I've mentioned that I was like the oldest. I was thirty when I saw it. Um, and it totally changed the way I looked at film. Uh, I saw the description of it in the SIF film calendar, and I went and saw a restored print of this film, uh, and I was absolutely summarily stunned and blown away by it. And the movie is a 1966 Japanese Yakuza yeah. film called yeah. Tokyo Drifter. Nice. Um, directed by Seijin Suzuki, who uh, is an absolute genius and one of my five favorite film directors of all time. I knew none of this when I went and saw the movie. I saw the movie on a big screen as a reissue, beautifully restored. On, on the face of it, it is a formula movie about a Yakuza gang boss who decides that he wants to go straight, uh, but he is ultimately strong-armed into becoming, into getting back into the life, and in the process he ends up needing to betray uh, the his right hand man who's been faithful to him the whole time, you know, getting back to the whole Japanese um, sense of honor and, and samurai justice um, syndrome. From there, though, this is one of the most outrageously colorful movies. is one of the most visually stunning films I have ever seen in my life. I got to see this on a huge screen. Uh, the first couple of minutes of the film are <coughs> shot in stark black and white, and then immediately after that, it explodes in color. It's one of the most visually innovative things that I've ever seen. Um, it was the last the, the last time that I saw a movie by a filmmaker that just like profoundly blew the top of my head off. I I I, I really um, for my 40th birthday uh, I had a screening at the Northwest Film Forum and this was the movie that we watched. Um, I I just I can't say enough wonderful things about it. It's. I, I, Suzuki was this guy who basically was a, uh, was like a salaryman. He was a journeyman. They gave him formula scripts about yakuzas and gangsters and criminals, uh, and he did the best that he could with them. And then at some point around the mid-60s, he said, fuck everything. I love pop art. I love uh, European new wave cinema. I love expressionism. And I'm going to take these formula-ass scripts, and I'm going to completely kaleidoscopically deliver them in ways that no one's ever seen before. Um, his movies were so radical that he got basically effectively banned by the studio that he was under contract for for 10 fucking years. The movies that he was making were so subversive and so radical and so weird that the studio was like, well, there's nothing we can fucking do with this. Um, but time has vindicated him. He's a massive visual influence on a lot of directors, including, uh, sorry, Quentin Tarantino. Um, also, uh, a crucial influence on Jim Jarmusch. Um, Ghost Dog, Jim Jarmusch's wonderful 1999 Forrest Whitaker starring movie, is a direct riff on Suzuki's Branded to Kill. <clears throat> You said ghost dog, and all all I thought about was Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say. Damn. Um, but yeah, I. But yeah, this is like one of the. This is like probably the most recent movie that I. Like I was the. This was the last movie that I saw that I think really profoundly blew the top of my head off and really opened my eyes to the possibility of film and really. Um, Pride opened my eyes to a cinematic artist who was woefully underappreciated at the time. I also had the very, very, very good fortune 
of about a year after I saw Tokyo Drifter um, at SIF, uh, Suzuki was actually in town for a retrospective of his films, and I actually got to meet the guy and say thank you for what you did and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just an amazing genius. And also, he was genuinely floored by how many, like, American filmmakers and fans just were, like, in love with what he did. I, I yeah, I, uh, Tokyo Drifter's not for everybody. It's basically a, a pulp genre movie done as an art film. And I, I can't recommend Suzuki's movies high enough. I could do a whole pod, podcast on his films because I've seen most of them, and I think they're incredible. So, <coughs> Tokyo Drifter blew the top of my head off when I was old enough to appreciate it. Okay. All right, so we got one final movie. Uh, so, all right, my final one is... Hey, guys, we're running over, so let's go move into another episode. Not kidding. <laughs> we're gonna, we'll see you next week in part two of this, this podcast. No, oh, okay, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, so my final movie is less of how it affects film in my, in my particular way, but how it affected my life on the whole. Uh, met my wife, met every girlfriend I've ever had. Yeah. 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 You guys... Like there anyone was, who knows me knows exactly what movie this is. Yeah, there was no way it wasn't yeah. going to be uh, this one. Yeah, that allowed me to travel around the around the country, um, seeing it, finding other fans. Everywhere I went, immediately found this. Uh, brought me out of my shell when I was eighteen. Uh, reinvigorated everything. Like, really turned my life upside down. Um, but that'd be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wait, shit, it's not Porky's? <laughs> yeah, it's totally Porky's. <laughs> the, uh, the shadow cast of Porky's. So it was really hard not to mention Rocky when we talked about Phantom of the Paradise earlier. Because I was like, doing whatever I could. <laughs> yes, Tony. Shadow uh, cast of Porky's? <laughs> you can play the hall. I'll play, <laughs> I'll play the German woman. <laughs> <laughs> I might die. I might die. From the man who brought you a Christmas story (laughs) and Black Black Christmas. And a talking dog? I think he did that. Maybe that was David Dickie Dog. It doesn't matter. Um, Or Karate Dog. Karate Dog. He made Karate Dog. Yeah, Bob Clark. But uh, yeah, Rocky Horror is, of course, the the granddaddy or the granddaddy and grandma's clothing of of cult horror film, of cult filmmaking. Movies. created its own sub-genre in that way. Well, there were ones before, because it, it became... Lou Adler saw that Night of Living Dead was doing well in Midnight Circle. So he's like, well, I need to make my money back. So April 1st, I'm going to toss it back in New York and in Houston, and it took off that second time <clears throat> after failing in September of 1975. Um, so you can blame Night of Living Dead for Rocky in that case. Uh, but after, you know, I, I saw it thanks to Fan of the Paradise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've told the story before, but until quickly again where my mom and I were flipping the channels probably like when I was in 8th grade or something and we came across Family of the Paradise on television and my mom was like is this Rocky Horror? and I was like I don't know and so we started watching it like it definitely wasn't we finished watching the rest of the movie and then she was like do you not know what Rocky Horror is? I'm like no so we went out to, we, we got in the car went to Blockbuster rented it came home and watched it <laughs> ah. uh, and thus creating something that never stopped from there you know me we found it was, you know in drama in high school um uh, yeah was the rest of my life um and became friends with everyone else who was into rocky and 2000 or so is the first time i saw a live live show earlier in that year uh there's a new theater new cast so i immediately joined cast about two two months after that they needed a brad it's like ah sure what the hell i'm in 
18-year-old nerd. I should do it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I played Brad Bard, a bunch of clothes off my dad that I stole from his closet. <laughs> uh, and started doing the show. Met a whole new set of friends and a whole new set of freaks, geeks, and sort of weirdos. Because uh, it's the movie that lets your freak flag fly. Uh, yeah, it was kind of the... the one, I mean, I know as a drama geek, like, that was... That and Army of Darkness were the two movies we played at cast parties. Yeah. Because yeah. they're so much fun and, and, mm-hmm. and they're... Uh, so, you know, riffable and singable and stuff like that. And uh, it, so it made that massive Im- impact of being someone who would never wear his underwear in public like that. Uh, then <laughs> doing that originally twice a month and eventually every week forever. Sort of, yeah, I, I loved it so much. I joined the cast three hours away, would go between the two casts. Uh, I did the same thing here with Seattle and Tacoma. And I ran Tacoma for a while, I ran other casts. Uh, met my wife. Through Rocky Horror, I played Riffraff. She played Magenta. Um, and we were both in both casts for a while. And you uh, met so many of my favorite people through it. And I, met, I started doing Crypticon because of Rocky Horror. Because uh, the Blue Masketeers, my cast in Tacoma. Uh, I retired a couple years ago. So my former cast in, in Tacoma, we performed at Crypticon because several people involved with Crypticon were involved with our cast. Uh, so that became that thing from there until I met everyone here. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it, it's a complete life changer. Maybe just come out of my shell, find something new. And from that, traveling to conventions, traveling to see, going to cities simply because they have Rocky, meeting the people who do those. I still have a lot of friends, people I still talk to that I started doing with cast 18 years ago. Um, when I started doing that. And so hundred like, so when someone talks about, oh, I've seen the movie dozens of times, like dozens. Ah, oh, poor sweet summer child. I've seen a, I've seen this particular movie thousands. <laughs> every sound, every note was. Like, but um, I know I've been stranting. But uh, I would do one final note on that particular thing is uh, it was in my head earlier today. So when I got in my car to come up here. I put on the soundtrack probably for some like four or five years, and all the emotions and all the thinking like I could hear, smell the theaters. I got the feeling when when the first notes of science fiction started playing of all those shows or those hundreds and thousands of shows of just the feeling and you're on the audience or you're out to go on stage and that and that all came flooding back on the way here just like remembering all the lines and this but this is the feeling of performing and doing that every you know every week every two weeks uh really came back so in that way that is the most influenced movie to make is rocky oh, there's there's a documentary that eventually will come out that home of happiness the uh, one of the uh, new jersey cast made called rocky horror saved my life and it's all people in casts talking about how Rocky Horror changed their lives fundamentally, and in some cases literally saved their lives, uh, of finding the people they needed to think to not give up on life. Uh, I was never to that level. Um, but uh, So Rocky Horror saved my life, uh, and ruined it in other ways. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then rant o- rant, raving over, so thank you. Yeah, we were at Weird Al, and uh, Time Warp started to play, yeah. and I looked over at Bob, and next thing I know, he's in his underwear dancing. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, where the fuck did your clothes even go? <laughs> well, well, I thought I did Time Warp at the wedding, and uh, but but no, I, I, I did my best to ignore it. <laughs> that way, it just went to start doing well, the song. And it's really, I mean, I you know, I have very fond memories of Rocky as well, because I actually saw a lot of screenings at, at, at midnight, and when I was in high school... Because I'm a fucking old man, uh, I saw it in theaters, and that was my initiation: was going to a midnight screening at, I think it was the SeaTac Six. Cinema. Then when you say you saw it in theaters, when it first came out, you mean? Oh no, no, no. Oh no, because I mean, yeah, I, I can't speak that. for Cody, but I know I've seen it in theaters like 
it, it yeah. still plays in theaters all oh, the time. Yeah. So. Uh, if you're in Seattle, Tacoma, and Tacoma oh, plays yeah, the second four Saturdays every month exactly. at the Blue Mouse Theater, which also is Friday Night Frights on the third Friday. Yeah. Uh, Seattle's a little more hit and miss. Um, at Central Cinema, I think on the on the end of October they have a yes. show. At Rendezvous occasionally. Um, and then Portland has two ca- Portland has a cast that does... T- I can't remember exactly when they do it. Delin- the, um, Clinton Street Cabaret, and then there's Dent to Del- Del- Delinquents in... Vancouver. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest, plenty of places oh, to yeah. see it. There's, there's, places to you, go. Yeah. If you want to see it in theaters, it is not. There are uh, dra- the Dragonfly Orchard Cinema in yeah. uh, and, and, um, and Port Orchard founded by one of performer cast. And I'm going to shout out the Dragonfly because they're awesome. They are great. They kept that old building from getting pretty much like wrecked because I remember when it was it originally shut down and then they finally bought it out. Um, that people were holding fucking yard sales and shit inside uh. of it. And then they bought it out, and they've really done a good job restoring it. And also, they keep a crock pot filled with butter to put on your popcorn. And Aww. I appreciate that. A real butter. A real butter. That's yeah. in Port Orchard That's if you're in the Pacific Port Northwest. Orchard, 10 minutes down the street from my mom's house. All right, uh, Tony, you were saying Tell that you're saying hi. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I, I really, so, the only thing I wanted to add is that I really think that Rocky Horror is one of those movies you need to see in a theater with an audience at midnight. It ha- you have to do that at least once. That's how I feel about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's actually wonderful and very moving to hear you talk about how seeing it on video hit you. I was fortunate enough to see it in a theater on a big screen for the first time, you know, and to be dragged there by a bunch of drama freaks and to have them go, oh, this is so cool, and then, well, what's this all about? And then, boom. Next thing you know, you're on stage in your underwear. <laughs> yes. Pretty yeah, much good, that Because, like, you know, anyone knows, you know, I'm like, you know, quietish, nerdy dude. Uh, but I played Frank for a long time. That's a completely different person than I am. So playing Frank actually kind of wears someone out if you're not that person. There are people play Frank who are just living Frank, like Bunny. Uh, more for, uh, uh, I more could Bunny. name a few people <laughs> yeah. right now who, they're not Frank, but they could, they live their life as a Frank. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, but also talking about how, you know, now looking back, it's semi-problematic on uh, the way it does things, but also, it's also where everyone who's different flocks to the first time. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's lesser now than it was in, say, the 80s. Uh, or 70s or 90s, because now it's skinks to the internet. You know, Patton Oswalt talks about this in one of his stand-ups that it's not the niche anymore. Like it was the the niche, and then but now it's kind of where people go. They meet some new people, and then they go off and do something else weird. Well, <laughs> it's the first step to the. There's weirdness. been movies since then too. I mean, I think about when I was in college. For me, and to be fair, I saw it. Uh, off Broadway first before I saw the movie, but uh, Hedwig. Yes, yeah. Uh, and that became what for the Harry Potter thing. Shut up! Oh my God, <laughs> fuck you, Cody! <laughs> wow. Thank you. We got our our Kim fuck you Cody in at least once. Oh, uh, I think I think that's, the universe think that's is like in its right. But, but Rocky kids yeah. love Hedwig. And yeah, well, because it, it's sort of the I don't want to say the next generation, but it, it's, it's a appealing spiritual to Kim. the yeah yeah, yeah. and it's it was another one that started as a stage show, mm-hmm. uh, and. The stage show is, is different than the movie, but but also not. Um, it's a great adaptation. Of it. It's a really well, and part of that is because John Cameron Mitchell did it. Yeah. Exactly, and so you when 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 the creator and star is the one that's that's transitioning it, then it's a lot more likely to be something that's going to keep the spirit and keep the soul of it. Absolutely. Uh, but I I think we're fortunate now that we're seeing we're seeing those those movies and those those stage pieces. Um, that kids and teenagers today have a lot to choose from when it comes to art 
geared towards the weird and the freaky and the not normal. I think, um, and I think Rocky had a lot to do with that, that making it, because even people who are not know Rocky. Yeah, it's essentially a very, it's not, I wouldn't say completely mainstream, but it's definitely, it's known among the mainstream. It's pop culture. It's, it's, and it's, it's something really that is. regular people go yeah, to. Yeah, it's pop like, culture. Yeah. It's well-known well, pop culture. Yeah. 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 Like the, 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 that that versus Priscilla. You, you reference Time Warp, people know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the most, it's it's the the weird thing for main culture, too. You know? Yeah. So it's 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 across that barrier. And it's, I think, now it's, it's a safe way for people who... I don't want to say because it's not commercial, but it's it's a it's a safe way for somebody who's maybe not into that but still be able to experience yeah, it. You can dip your toes yeah. in. You can dip your toes exactly. in, and nobody's gonna think anything of it because it's so it's such a pop culture thing now. You can get Funko Pops of the yeah. Rocky Horror. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they were at, I had them on my cake at my wedding. <laughs> uh, it's it's something. I mean, Glee did yeah. Rocky Horror. I mean, like, and that the, brought it that and then the remake that and remake brought it back to a whole new generation. Yeah, like, some people in the community were always like, man. Glee. It's like, no, every time the Glee episode shows, everyone has a sold-out show the next fucking week. Yeah. The people join. People come back. They bring their friends. And it's, it's a rite of passage. You bring everyone to the next thing. You get on stage to do it yourself if you're a weirdo like me, you know. It's never a bad thing to introduce somebody to something. And to... I, I, I liken a little bit to when I'm teaching Shakespeare to younger kids, I do not throw Macbeth at their faces and say, here, go to town, kid. Um, I use scripts She that are, takes him to a shadow cast of Macbeth. I do. <laughs> complete with child sacrifice to the witches afterwards. <laughs> uh, I mean, you gotta keep them stocked. Gotta keep the witches happy. But um, I, I work with these 10-minute scripts that, that use a lot of contemporary text that's funny and silly and, and works in the classical text. Because you gotta start small sometimes. You can't just fling something at certain people and expect that they're going to like it. It's not a bad thing to give exposure to something. That's why I can't ever hate too hard. I can hate a little on remakes. Uh, but I think if somebody really likes a remake or a reimagining of something, it brings them to the original source material. So that can never be a bad thing. Now, I'm sure pretty sure when the Ghostbusters remake came out, my original DVD caught fire and melted. So... <laughs> but my childhood! <laughs> But that, yeah. the, that and Rocky Horror both had remakes in the same year, and uh, both oh God. Are fucking nuts. But that's a whole different topic. Uh, but yeah, it's like that's like I have a Rocky Horror wall on my house. All so right, I'll like, make a confession. I've never seen Rocky Horror. All right, we're at the go. Really? I've never done it. I've wanted to. Welcome I've, to Pill Hill. I've I've seen clips. I have never seen it from beginning, middle. We and should do a, a, a field trip one day. <laughs> I, I, I think that would be a very trip. fun field trip. Field trip. Um, yeah, because, we need you know, to take you one time. Yeah. Was that you have Sundays off, so we should take you one that done. Fuck As yeah. We were coming back to the theater because you've been retired for so long, and no one on the cast is on the cast. Well, there's like two people who are left from my time. <laughs> Show up in my riffraff costume and it's like I'm doing the I'm playing riff the night. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just one of those things. It's, it's always been on. It you know it's been on that part of the Candyman type thing where it's been like I want to see it I've seen clips I know the actors I know right. like, I know the soundtrack I know almost everything about the movie except never Action seen it. it yeah no there's there's some movies on the hundred that I feel that way when I finally <clears throat> watch though I'm like I feel like it's almost a disservice to say that this is a movie I haven't seen because 
I already know almost everything about it. I just haven't completely beginning to end of it. Oh yeah, yeah. everyone has uh, like a handful of movies like that. Yeah. Every yeah. film geek has a handful has of movies. Has those blind like spots and it's fun to fill them in. Um, yeah. So we'll there fill in go. Rocky Horror for you one day. And Rocky Horror will fill you in. Because so that's what we do. That's uh, it, Cody. What is your... That was... Mine was the Grinch, which I'm going to be launching a shadow cast soon. <laughs> of the uh, full board makeup. or of the... Of the Benedict Cumberbatch one. I will let you decide that. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> yeah, thank you. Cody. <laughs> <laughs> so, all were the listeners, aka uh, Jennifer and maybe one or two other people, uh, thank you for listening for us to two hours talk about, like, our history of film and why we love what we love and what I liked about doing this particular podcast is not just like listing off a bunch of subgenre stuff you can just look up online. You can't just like put in what are Tony's favorite movies? And you're, well, you might get that response. You but, might. <laughs> uh, but uh, I like talking something more personal about going into everyone's oh, like absolutely. backgrounds and how how I we affect things. So how we much move about my city of geek brethren today. <laughs> I and didn't. That, that's why I jumped on that. My list was going to be until today, and then I'm like, <laughs> wait a second, Ready to Rumble, Leprechaun, fucking. <laughs> The Grinch and Dawn of the Dead, and then it was I. Yeah. It, it was honestly going to be God's Not Dead or Hillary's Impression. Like a bunch of movies that no one that I would never expect to be an influential movie to someone. But hey, everyone, I'm I'm, I'm glad we went and just like didn't go like, uh, sh- like shallow, not shallow, but like oh, I love The Godfather. You know, <laughs> it taught me love. Well, I think we weren't afraid to. I, I love The Godfather, but still. No, no, no. But I mean, I think they're. There is this impulse when it's like, what are movies that influenced you? I have to do things that are impressive. Has to be cinema masterpieces. It has to be cinema masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, and and the fact of the matter is, is that yes, it's not that cinema masterpieces don't speak to us, but a lot of the things that hit us and hit us on an emotional level or hit us on a whatever level, <laughs> it's either when we're younger. Hit us on a Grinch dick level. Hit us yeah. on a Grinch dick level. Um. <coughs> It hit us when we were younger, or something about it is speaking to us totally. in our life, and and that isn't always. That's no offense to the guy. I love the Godfather, but four of mine were stuff I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, and but I, it's like, but you can see what you like now and say, oh, that that came that, from like this movie. Something. Yeah, well, seeing this way. That's how Dear Zachary ended up on there. Is that that's one for me that that just doesn't leave me. I feel like almost any time I'm working on true crime things. That one just that is just sitting above me, saying, "Are you doing this justice?" Um, yeah. And I appreciate all joking aside, we we will never judge each other for our differences in film opinions or what when impacted us or not. And I think that that it is something that a lot of people fear is they're like, "I don't want to admit I like this movie. People mm-hmm. are gonna fucking weird me out." It's like, no, I like that, and I like our inclusive city of geek. All right, so Kim's about to kick us out of her house, so we should just wrap this on up. Uh, So thank you guys for listening. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, Please, please give us a review on iTunes and subscribe. And comment. Let us know what the movies were that defined you. Yeah, Yeah, or how we're wrong. Hashtag of the week is tweet at me Grinch dick to let me know you've made it for this whole podcast. Because the only way more people can find it, if you like us, is by... Those comments, description. I, I hate, you know, of course, and every time we do this, I do mention it on the YouTube channel every time I mention it. But always like, this, please. <laughs> yeah, go to the YouTube channel, find out uh, my reviews for 100 Days of Horror, go to cityofheat.com, see what everyone else is watching, join the Facebook group, and join us. Uh, you can definitely catch up if you still haven't started yet. Uh, Tony's still on three years ago, so that's. <laughs> um, I'll catch up in 10 years. Yeah. Hey, shit, Tony's on like 2001. 
Alright, right, so saying goodbye for City of Geek. Tony says farewell. Kim says get out of my house. <laughs> After all the wine I just poured for you, my friend. What about all the candy bars you ate? <laughs> okay, there's that. Okay, we're even. Cody says those Oreos were a little stale, but yeah. it's okay. Okay. And Bob says... Yeah, listen to us. No, <laughs> Bob says, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, Bob is our straight. Well, well, actually. Well, no. actually. <laughs> and uh, so uh, stay geeky and subscribe. <laughs> See you, motherfuckers. Thanks.